Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bat Around from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake Employers Insurance, your workers' compensation specialist. Joining me, as always, is Zach Goodman, and I am Paul Valley here hosting the Bat Around on a beautiful Saturday in March. Zach, we have made it to March. It is March 6th. We have weather getting close to the 70s starting on yep. Tuesday. Um, spring. We are in meteorological spring. I learned the meteorological spring is a thing this past week. Do you know what that is? I have no idea what that is. All right. So normally, normally the vernal equinox is the start of spring. That is, that's still the case. It's still the case. March 20th this year. Sometimes it's the 21st. Sometimes it's the 22nd. But meteorological spring is the months of March, April, and May. And then meteorological summer. June, July, August, fall is September, October, November, and winter is December, January, February. So it's the months. So we are officially in the meteorological spring month of March. Yeah, it felt like it this week. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely felt like it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a little cool. I got back out on the golf course. My golf course nice, was closed nice. for five weeks. I went 38 days in between swinging golf clubs. That sucked, and it was evident on the first few holes. It was it was brutal, but I, I got back into form there after taking a six and a seven on the first two holes, but we won't get into that because it's a baseball show, not a golf show. Uh, Zach, you sent me an article um, this morning. It looks like, and nothing's been been confirmed, made official right. nothing thank you why can't i think of the word confirmed nothing's been confirmed yet confirmed but it looks like the orioles are going to be broadcasting on mass in four spring training games in the second half of march better late than never i suppose yeah they've been showing all these camera angles and and different highlight videos of you know cedric mullins hitting a triple or ryan malcastle hitting that home run yesterday we've been seeing all of these camera angles and everyone's been going why can't they just live stream it on youtube why can't they live stream it on twitter but they haven't for some reason but it seems like now they're going to get possibly four orioles games on masson and then four nationals games as well dan Connolly wrote an article for the athletic about that um he said up to four for each team so it could be less he said they're working on getting them scheduled. It's the Orioles' own, you know, mass, and, and and the Nationals have a stake in that as well. So I'm not sure why it would be so difficult to schedule these games and get people there. But it seems like this will happen. At least we'll get some games to watch for the O's, and hopefully they're games that are not shown by other TV, uh, other other uh, TV broadcasts like the Braves or whoever the Orioles were to play that day. Um, so you know that that's that's awesome. We've been asking for it for a while. Um, they they probably got bullied into it because a lot of fans are very upset about this, and, and it makes sense. The Orioles have aired seven every year for for pretty much the past five six years or so. So it's nice to see them finally doing it for sure. Yeah. Sorry, I was on mute. Hey, do me a favor, man. Go check on Facebook and make sure that the video is playing because it says on on my screen that we're ha it's having trouble playing the video. Um, the, I I don't see any reason why. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it it's playing. Yeah, seems okay. like it's playing to me. All right, that that's good. It's probably just this computer. It's a new computer that we've been having issues with on and off here. So anyway, uh, no, it, it's definitely good that they're going to be having um. Hopefully, airing four spring games. People have been pining for it. It hasn't felt like spring training without these games. Uh, we got to watch one at 2 a.m. this past week if you set your DVRs. But here's the other thing. If you follow the team like we do, you already know what happened in that game. So you're really just recording right. it to watch stuff that you already know happened. So right. I, like by the, by the third, fourth inning, I was, I was tuned out. I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some PGA Tour Golf 11 on PlayStation 3. Yeah, uh, you know, like it, it's just I was, 
it's not the same. You know, I want to watch something live and see what happens live. You know, it, so it, it, it'll be good. It's long overdue. I can't believe that a team that has its own regional yeah. sports network would not air spring training games, especially after last year when they were doing right. exhibition games and they were doing um, intra-squad games at the alternate training site before the season got ramped up. People were saying, hey, we want to watch their practices. We want to watch these split squad games. We want to watch the the three exhibition games. And they were like, nah. Because every other team was doing it. The, Mar- right. the Mariners were, I, I think, the first one to start filming these practices. And I was so starved for baseball. I was I was watching the Mariners practice, which is you know not the most exciting thing in the world. But the Orioles didn't do any of that. And then they ended up airing a few of the exhibition games on Mass. And I believe they played the Nationals a few times, and they aired those. But I, I think both times, really, they've gotten bullied into it because fans get very upset when they can't see the Orioles on TV, and rightfully so. You know, they, they own their own network. They should be able to put these things on TV. And, you know, I, I'm glad we're getting four. Four is not a ton, but it's it's something. You know, it's it's something for Orioles fans to watch. It, it's certainly better than nothing, and yeah. it's going to feel like more because it's going to be in, like, the last two weeks. Yeah, which, so, is, which, is, which is awesome, really. It yeah. really is. Um, some updates uh, coming out of spring training. Freddie Galvis has been scratched from the lineup the last two days. Uh, he has a hip injury that Brendan Hyde said. Oh, almost sneeze. He has a hip injury that Brandon Hyde said is day to day. Um, he almost played two days ago, but they said that he worked out, and they're like, you know what? Just to be safe, we're gonna we're gonna hold you back. So it's it's about the long term. It's not about getting him into spring training games. He's still got plenty of time to get ramped up. Uh, DJ Stewart uh, off to a pretty hot start. Homered in his first two games. Well, in his third game yesterday, he got two at bats, went zero for two to put him at uh, two for eight on the on the spring, but. He was trying to beat out a ground ball in his second at bat. Tweaked his hamstring a little bit. Again, Brandon Hyde said he's day-to-day. Nothing to be too overly concerned about, but he's probably going to be held out of this next game, which would be tomorrow as well. Chris Davis, another year, another injury. Um, they felt his lower back tug on him while uh, in his second at bat of his first game last Sunday when he threw out when, – when, when, he flew out to center field, um, so he's day-to-day, hasn't played since the first game. Surprise, surprise. Chris Davis either sick or hurt. Either way, he's ineffective. Uh, and then also Alexander Wells, the Australian pitcher who has a shot to make his big league debut this year. He had an oblique strain at the beginning of the season last year. He strained it again in Australia while he was working out this year. Came to camp with the injury. The Orioles knew of it. He is uh, rehabbing, and he's going to start throwing again soon, but he has yet to do anything uh, because of that so far. Uh, Orioles are 2-3-1 and one through the first week of, the, of Grapefruit League action. They Mid- start- mid-season form. Yeah, the, the, you know, I mean, they started 0-2-1. They've yet to play a nine-inning game, though tonight's game is expected to go uh, uh, nine innings. I believe they play at six o'clock. Um, outfield leading the offensive charge, and this is a bit of a, a preamble to what our Orioles banter Orioles banter segment is going to be. Orioles in the outfield because the outfield is the the highest performing, highest yep. expected to perform. If, what um, uh, part of the team? Uh, DJ Stewart home run in each of his first two games. Austin Hayes he started four for five with a home run and a stolen base in his first two games. Cedric Mullins batting exclusively from the left side now is uh, four for nine with a double, a triple, two RBIs, and just one strikeout in three games, which is nice to see. Uh, and then Anthony Santander he's zero for three, but he's played in three games. In his last two games, he's walked five times. So. Brandon Hyde wanted him to be more selective. Yep. Uh, it seems like he has been recently. So we'll see if that translates to the regular season. But again, we're going to talk about that in uh, Orioles banter. In fact, the only outfielder who really hasn't gotten going 
until yesterday. Until yesterday. It is yep. Ryan Mountcastle. He did hit, from what I heard, a moonshot home run. Yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was a highlight video of it. Absolute moonshot. It was, they said it was off the light tower, and it, it was just way back. The outfielders didn't even move. It was one of them where, you know, you knew it was going right off the bat. Oh, a little bit of the, of the natural there. Um, Orioles were the subject of 30 teams in 30 days on MLB Network on Thursday. And Greg Amsinger. I usually take issue with him because he will always find a way to hate on the Orioles. This dude was delightful. He was. He yeah. was He was delightful. He had nothing but positive things to say about the team. It blew my mind. And, and maybe he saw all the hate that the Orioles got uh, over the last few weeks. He was like, all right, that's enough. Uh, another article written today by Beyond the Box Score that was just horrendous uh, that we might get into, but... They basically said to Trey Mancini, might play some center field. Get the hell out of here. Trey Mancini has never yeah. played center field a day in his life. Uh, and, and, anyway. and never will. And, and, and never will. But anyway, uh, Greg, Greg Amsinger predicted Ryan Mountcastle to be the AL breakout player of the year this year. Thinks he's going to bat over 300, hit 30-plus homers, and drive in over 100. Those numbers would certainly get him Rookie of the Year, would it not? Yeah, I mean, I, I think unless a guy like Aaron Judge came along and hit 52 home runs again, then that's that's a Rookie of the Year performance. That's an incredible performance, and I'm not sure that Ryan Malcastle is going to do that this year, You know, especially 100 RBIs. RBIs are somewhat of a team stat because you've got to get guys on base to get RBIs. The Orioles are probably not going to get a ton of guys on base. Um, you know, may, Maybe the guys at the top of the lineup. They will have Hayes and Santander at the top of the lineup, but... You know, it, it, that's that's amazing numbers. 30 home runs is definitely a mark that I think Mountcastle could hit at some point in his career. I'm not sure about right now. But 300 hit 333 last year. That's definitely in the, in the sights for me. I, I think Mountcastle could definitely do that. He's hit over 300 at every level. Yeah, he, he's he's a professional hitter. He yeah. really is. Uh, and, and honestly, I mean, in 2019, the Orioles were very bad. They were very bad. They didn't have any really a ton of great players on their team. But Mancini still drove in 97. I right, think, yep. And yep. I, I think that this offense is probably going to be one of the better offenses that we've seen since the likes of Machado and Scope and um, Hardy and Jones left town. Uh, so I think that there's going to be room for people to drive in some runs, especially if they get somebody in the two-hole that can get on base. Because I have no right. doubts that if they bat Hayes leadoff, he'll get on base. I have no doubts that if they bat Cedric Mullins, he'll use his speed to his advantage and he'll get on base. It's a, all, That two-hole is really going to swing this lineup. And if, yeah. if you have, you don't want Trey Mancini hitting second. He's been hitting second in these games um, in the spring because Hyde wants to get him as many at-bats as possible before taking him out of the game. But I would not be surprised to see Manzini start the year there, but Trey Mancini should be your four hitter. He should absolutely be I agree, yeah. your three, four, or five hitter. But I, either way, I want him three or four in the lineup. They need a number two hitter, and a good number two hitter helps balance out this lineup. Also, on that uh, 30, 30 Teams in 30 Days program on MLB Network, Dan Plesak uh, said his bold prediction for this season is that Adley Rutschman will make his big league debut. Uh not sure how bold it is. Yeah, I don't it's know. Moderately bold, I guess. He's not expected to make his major league debut, but it's it's certainly a possibility. I think September, especially if the Orioles are playing well, the Orioles are are you know close to seventy wins, maybe even a little bit over seventy wins, which which is unlikely. But if they're in that range, I I think Adley Rutschman could be brought up because the Orioles. You know, Michael Elias always says we want to, you know, try. We're not trying to maximize wins right now, but we're you, we still want to win if we can. You know, right? The Orioles are not going to try to try to tank. You know, just because they want to. They're gonna if if they're close to a you know seventy seventy five wins, and they they think another guy can can you know get brought up and give them some more wins. They're gonna bring Adley Rutschman up, and and you know it, it'll be it'll be um you know exciting for Orioles fans to watch. They'll sell a lot of tickets too. 
Here's here's the thing regarding that. If Adley Rutschman coming up is the difference between 70 and 75 wins for the year, that's not why they're going to bring him up. Now, if they have 75 wins in August and maybe they're no, well, that's definitely and, true. And, and maybe they're a fringe playoff team, then yeah, they they could bring they could bring Adley Rutschman up and say, "Hey, we want you to help get us over the top." Because let, let's be honest, and Pedro Severino, you know, God love him, he, he's a little he's a little. Um, Limited defensively, yeah. he seems to go cold in August and September. Uh, Pedro Severino, good catcher. Adley Rutschman's the best catcher in this organization. Right, he, he, yep. he's the best catcher in the organization. It's up to him to to basically make his major league debut. It's up to him to go to Bowie and bat three thirty with twenty five home runs. It's it's right. up to him to play Gold Glove caliber defense and 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 throw out base runners. If he does those things and Everything points to he will, right? Uh, it's up, then, then he'll be here. So, so what I meant by the 70-win mark, if the Orioles feel that they're farther along in the rebuild and that they're closer to being in contention the next 20, you know, maybe 2022, 2023, and they were able to get 70 wins earlier than they expected, you know, they probably don't expect that this year. If they were to get there, they could say, okay, it's time to bring up Rutschman. It's, it's enough. You know, maybe next year is more realistic to compete if we, if we win 70 games this year. That, that's more what I meant by that. Right, but, but I think that either way, Adley Rutschman's your starting catcher on opening day in 2022. I would hope so, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think either way. You know, you don't draft that guy first overall, yeah. and and he'll be pushing twenty five. He, he's unbelievably polished at what he is already. Yeah. What uh, he the, is already. I, I I can't imagine that he's going to spend more than this year in the minors. Now, he, unless he completely flames out, and nothing about this kid makes you think that he's going to flame out. Uh, call him a kid, but he's older than you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but. The other thing that's that's working against him is that they just announced that the AAA season is also be the start of the AAA season has also been pushed back to May, which means that the minor leagues teams are all still going to be playing in September. And if Bowie or AAA is contending for a championship, and they're going to have some solid teams, they're going to have some solid teams. It's a great point. There's a good chance that they're going to say we're going to leave Rutschman down there to help them win a championship. That team deserves to have its best player help them win a championship. When the Orioles aren't... Ex- they're not going to be in playoff contention this, right, in September. Right, right. Does, you know, Rutschman, it's, it's probably better for him and for, for uh, the guys on his minor league team, whether it's Norfolk or Bowie, hey, let's make this playoff push together. Let's go win a championship together. And if all those guys win a championship together, that's the next line. The next in line for the Orioles, they know how to win together. So... We'll see how how it plays out. I would love to see Adley Rutschman. I do think that um, the Triple A season being pushed back to May, along with Double A and Single A, uh, will hinder him getting here uh, in September. But again, it, it, it's up to him. It's really up to him. Uh, Orioles pitching. It's been wow. We we spent a lot of time on that. Orioles pitching has been up and down. This year or this spring, uh, going into Friday, O starters were pitching to an 8-10 ERA. Did not get any better. Um, uh, Matt Harvey gave up three runs in two innings. So that ERA is up to 8.35. Relievers going into yesterday uh, had pitched to a 2.86 ERA. Now they gave up 10 runs. Relievers, and that includes Keegan Aiken, who gave up one run in two innings, but they gave up 10 runs. The bullpen did yesterday. Um, Teams struck out 34 batters in 35 innings going into Friday, but they had also walked 20. Cesar Valdez, Tanner Scott, and Bruce Zimmerman have been dominant in their small sample sizes. Uh, is this something that you read a lot into, or is it just it's spring training, these guys are working on things? Yeah, not yet. I, I think that you know if these guys were doing that at the end of March and they're still getting pounded, then 
maybe you could make a case that you know it's time to worry a little bit. But it, most of these guys, it's their first or second spring training start or relief appearance. So I'm not going to put too much stock into what any of these guys do yet. Um, you know, really, there's no Orioles starter that has done well yet, except Wade LeBlanc. I think Wade LeBlanc had a pretty solid day um, in his in his first start. But you know, Dean Kramer got really hit around pretty hard um you know matt harvey got hit around really hard felix hernandez should be going anytime soon but he goes tonight he goes tonight yeah so all of these guys have gotten hit pretty hard john means didn't have the greatest outing but it's just the first couple starts you know they'll they'll get there that you know these guys are still not 100 percent as to where they want to be that's the whole point of spring training and i'm sure brandon hyde has them working on some things chris holt has them working on things uh, has them working on some things that you know maybe they just want to polish and and some things that they wouldn't normally do in regular games. So I, I don't think there's too much you can read into it really. Well, and and John Means to his credit, he was victimized by DJ Lemayhew. He was a long his, at bat. His yep. first the, the first batter he faced with DJ Lemayhew, who's one any pitcher will tell you he's one of the hardest batters to strike out. Asher Wojciechowski said he's the hardest hitter he's ever faced. Twelve pitch at bat, he ends up getting a single. Then there was a fly ball that should have been called, but Diaz um, went back first. If he came in, it would have been called. They wouldn't have scored any runs that inning. And then he ends up coming out and, and pitching better. I think he did give up a home run in that second inning, but he ended up pitching better in the second inning than in the first inning. So, uh, look, I expect these guys to get incrementally better yeah, right. as the spring rolls on. But you can't really t- put too much stock into what we see, the, especially just the first six games yep. of uh, spring training. Now, there's something I was surprised to see. When I was watching, um, when I was watching the Orioles thirty for thirty, they had this little thing across the ticker Orioles stats and stuff like that. I saw that John Means last year had a team leading point zero point nine eight. I was thinking the same thing it, it, when I saw that he had a four fifty two ERA and his WHIP was sub one, Wh- which is really a great sign. It, it, it but it, it shows you how unlucky he was with yeah. the long ball. He was also so dominant in his last. He only had three walks his last four starts. He took a no hitter into the sixth inning of his final start of the year. Um, so that has something to do with it, but it just really goes to show you that when your pitcher has a 4.52 ERA but a sub-1 whip, you can expect a major bounce back the next yep, year, I absolutely. think. Another thing that I saw that surprised me, Travis Lakins, like the exact opposite. He had a 2.81 ERA, but his whip was 14.81. He had a, a whip yeah. approaching 1.5. So should we be wary of a regression for Lakins in 2021. Well, I do think Lakins is a depth piece, and I think the Orioles know that anyway, but he was a big part of that uh, that bullpen in 20, 2020. They played him a lot. He he made a lot of appearances, and he'll probably make a lot of appearances in 21, but I'm not sure if they think he's a piece going forward. I'm not sure how the Orioles view him, frankly, but um, you know that that whip is pretty high. That you know anything above really one three is is getting pretty high at that point. Um, you know he and he's mid one four, so um, you know that's a little bit concerning. The ERA it's fine, but obviously it doesn't tell the whole story. So I, right. I think maybe we should expect a little bit of regression for sure. Yeah, and, and you have to be wary of a regression for everybody. Yeah. everybody oh, yeah. that pitched so well last year, it was in a small sample size. I remember Paul Fry pitching so well at the beginning of twenty. Uh, of 2019, right. and then he fell off a cliff. And speak- even even Tanner Scott, who was masterful in in that la- in, in the 2020 year, he was unbelievably good. He's still going to regress. All these guys will. Yeah, and yeah, I don't I don't see Tanner Scott pitching to a 136 no. ERA for an, for a full season. Um, but look, you want to do sounding off. We kind of spoiled your sounding off because it, it looks like. There are going to be four games televised by Masson for the Orioles, um, and that's what you wanted to sound off on. Actually, not quite. I was going to talk today about the Orioles having fans in the stands. Um, 
Yeah, so the Orioles have not announced yet whether they will have fans in the stands. Obviously, their Sarasota complex, they have 25% right now. There are, you know, the mask regulations in place, social distancing in place right now. That That's what's happening for the Orioles. But they haven't announced what they'll do at Camden Yards come, I believe it's, it's you know, the beginning of April. I believe it's April 8th. The Orioles have opening day at home. Um, the nearby Phillies, they have announced they will have a limited capacity of fans, but the Nationals, who are probably, you know, the most closely aligned team with the Orioles, have announced they will not have fans to start the season. I think this would be good for the Orioles to have fans. I really think it's going to be beneficial for them in so many ways. You know, fans want to come back to the ballpark. I think we're going to see low attendance for the next few years just because of how bad the Orioles are right now. But having fans come back on opening day and these, especially these first couple, really the first couple series, these these stands are going to be packed if the Orioles actually open it up. They will be packed. It will be, that 25% will be sold out for sure. I can almost guarantee it. People want to see baseball. People want to see the Orioles and they can see them down in Sarasota, but the majority of people aren't going to go down to Sarasota right now. So to have fans, it would just be such a lift up, I think, for this team. Also, revenue-wise, you know, the, the Orioles, we know about their money struggles. They haven't had a lot of revenue in the past year, as as really every baseball team has struggled. But the Orioles need revenue. And to sell, you know, really, I would think they would sell out these tickets almost every night for at least the first couple series. This would just be good for the Orioles. This would be good for the fans. I, I think if the right measures and the right distancing and the right mask regulations are put in place, I think this should happen for sure. And I'm really hoping they announce it soon. So I, I think it should. Well, yeah, and you mentioned that California is allowing limited fans. Yeah. Texas 100% open. So is Florida. That's why the Orioles are allowed to have fans right. in Sarasota. I'm headed down to Sarasota in two weeks yep. Yep. Uh, to catch the game on the 21st. So uh, I don't want that to be the only baseball action I get to see in April. I have over a $200 credit with the Orioles from last year that I want to put towards going to opening day this year, but I'm not going to spend that money until I know when opening day is. It would be nice to hear some kind of announcement. Uh, Regulations are getting a little bit looser. Things are starting to open up slowly, but surely we're starting to get back towards that normalcy. So we can be hopeful, but it it would be nice to hear something definitive in the next week or so. With that in mind, I have Stan, the fan, Charles on the line. Stan, how are you this morning? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? We're doing pretty well. Thanks for joining the program today. Wow, this is Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Um, so what what do you think? Do you think that we're going to have uh, fans in the stands on the opening day for the Orioles? Or do you think that that's still a long time off? Uh, I did not think it was going to happen. But then the other day the Phillies announced that they're going to have 9,000 fans per game for 19 games. And that sounds, you know, when, when I saw that they were doing it, you know, I mean, I think what's going on in Texas is uh, – an absolute outrage, you know, down there with what the governor's doing, opening things and lifting the mass mandate. I think he's absolutely nuts. Uh, but, but you know, seven to 9,000 fans sounds sounds about right to me uh, to start the season off. Well, yeah, if, if the Phillies... If the Phillies are going to do it, and they're right up yeah. the street, then yeah. the Orioles will be able to. But but again, the, the Nationals have announced that they're not going to be having fans at least for April. So on, on, right. you have it on both sides of the spectrum, on, uh, sandwiching around the Orioles. It would be nice. Uh, I think that the Texas governor, uh, it's certainly a ballsy move to open the state 100% and uh, release, get rid of the mask mandate. But you know, if if it works, other states could follow suit. But that remains to be seen. Um, you've been pretty staunch about how you feel about about COVID stands. So, would you be okay with fans being in the stands? Um, 
at that limited amount, like seven to nine thousand fans, I I think is is reasonable. Uh, I still think they should be wearing masks and uh, they should be how they're going to work out the distancing. I don't know, but I think uh, I think that's an important component. You know. Stan, I, I look at this especially as a good revenue thing for the Orioles because they haven't made a lot of money. They're, they're really struggling. We know about that. And if the Orioles were able to get you know seven to nine thousand, even ten thousand fans in the stands, do you think this would be you know significant for the revenue going forward? Um, their revenue is going to be so far off to begin with. I mean, it, it's it's something. There's no question about it. I mean, it, it's it's really hard. You know when you. You know that a team really needs to to do twenty to twenty five thousand a game. You know, uh, and first of all, we know that the Orioles, if if this were normal, they would probably average about eleven to thirteen thousand a game this season. You know, I think over the uh, eighty one games. Yeah, and that that's certainly true. We've seen so many times in the middle of the year, it'll be a game against, I don't know, against the Royals, and you have, it doesn't even look like they have 8,000 fans there. Right. Um, now, some of that has to do with the fact that, you know, kids are still in school. So they, they have um, brought back the times to 635, the start times, in the beginning of the year and at the end of the year so that people can go to the games and not get out of there at 11, 1130 at night, um, which I think will help attendance. But really, ultimately, what helps attendance is – the team's performance on the field. And if the Orioles play good baseball, then you're going to see more fans in the stands. But we're still a little bit off from that. Um, Stan, now you brought to my attention um, something in the press box print issue, an ad for DickGordonSports.com. They're going to be having a signing. They do signings every year. They're going to be having a signing with Carl Yastrzemski. But this is a virtual signing, is it not? Yeah. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski was a client of uh, Dick who passed away uh two and a half years ago. Um, Dick, uh, Dick's had a remarkable career in the, uh, in the autograph world. And, uh, I got pretty friendly with he and his wife, Gloria and Gloria is still running the company with the help of a couple key employees. And, uh, they're doing, they, you know, Dick, uh, handled Carl, Yastrzemski, all his signings for the past, I think it was 25, 30 years. He, he also handled, uh, Ted Williams, when Ted was alive, he handled Joe DiMaggio uh, the last 10 years of his life, uh, handled Earl Weaver. Uh, He's a remarkable guy. Um, And they're doing this signing, and it's coming up, um, and they need you to send. i got to pull the paper open and find it. It's on page 33. The date is Monday, April the 12th. All the mail orders must be in by April the 7th, 2021. Um, and I just, again, I point out that they're spending a few bucks with us to let, let people know in our marketplace. And, and I think it's a good thing to know. We lost, I hate to be like on the modeling side, but we lost a lot of uh, our heroes in 2020. Uh, what was it, uh, seven or eight uh, Hall of Fame players? Nine, yeah. So. You know, you, you, you kind of tend to believe these people will always be around. Their autographs are always obtainable, but they're not. So I urge you to, um, you know, consider doing it. Go to DickGordonSports.com, DickGordonSports.com, phone number 410-486-1198. 
and um, you know you can send your flats up there, and uh, Carl Yastrzemski will sign them. Yeah, and we're uh, we're going to try to get Gloria Gordon on the program for about ten minutes next week. Um, so Stan, we're yeah. gonna, we're going to talk about you about that with you over this yeah. coming week. So we'll try and get her on and talk about that and have some uh, get some stories about Dick, and then she can give us all the intel on this signing. Now, yeah. Back but again, to... DickGordonSports.com is the website, and all the information will be there. But the stuff must be in by April the 7th uh, of this year. Absolutely. And again, for, phone number is 410-486-1198. Now, Stan, getting back to some Orioles talk here a little yep. bit, uh, what can we glean from the first week of Grapefruit League action? Orioles 2-3-1, and one, pitching has been up and down, offense has been up and down. What have you seen? What are you taking away from this first week? Well, it, it, the, the most notable most notable thing that's jumped out to me is that the names that we were assuming uh, were going to be part of this outfield, it suddenly looks like they, they've got a lot of depth there. You know, I don't know yeah. if any of them are going to be great players. Certainly, we're, we're hoping that Ryan Mountcastle will be a star. Anthony Santander is a pretty good player at this point. You know, if he can if he can coax a few more walks and get on base more in a 330-340 range, he, he'd really be a standout player. But, you know, additionally, Cedric Mullins, who's giving up, uh, you know, switch hitting, he's not going to hit from the right side anymore, which I think is a good idea. Yeah. He's an excellent defender, and he can steal bases, and he's, uh, you know, one of the players – that is has not let his ego keep him from bunning the baseball, uh, and he had a terrific season, comeback season last year. Austin Hayes and now DJ Stewart. So you've got five names out there in the outfield that are vying for the playing time of the three outfield positions. Maybe with the case of Mountcastle uh, and Stewart, a little bit of DHing and a little bit of first base as well, along with Trey Mancini. So. The outfield depth has been one of the things I've noticed up to this point. Well, and you mentioned Ryan Mountcastle, and uh, the Orioles were the subject of 30 teams in 30 days on MLB Network. And Greg Amsinger, who is usually pretty down on the Orioles, he was really excited about Ryan Mountcastle. He kept mentioning how Buck Showalter said how much he loved that player. Uh, and he predicted that Mountcastle is going to bat over 300, hit over 30 home runs, and drive in over 100. Do you have similar expectations for Ryan Mountcastle? I would say I've got those expectations eventually. Um, I think it'll be, you know, a period of adjustment for Mountcastle. I think teams will sort of figure figure certain things out, how to approach him, how to pitch to him. Uh, but I have to admit, what shocked the what shocked the you know what out of me? You know, I started to say the sh, you know, word. <laughs> Uh, was was watching him from from afar for the last couple of years. I was very reticent to to say that he was ready to play in the major leagues because of the the uh, strike zone judgment. You know, I would see numbers like 110 strikeouts and 18 walks. Right. When I see those kind of numbers, even though he won the MVP. Of of AAA in 2019, I I sort of cringe and see a guy in the major leagues that's going to struggle. And Mountcastle came up and he didn't. It 
didn't look like that was the kind of player he was. So I don't know. Maybe all along he was just he was just on his own, being more of a free swinger, and he knew he could control it a little bit. But I was really taken aback by the way he worked the count uh, and didn't look overmatched, and that was a great sign to me. Stan, Mike Elias has kind of had a philosophy over the past few years that you don't bring a prospect up until they're 100% ready and they can play every day. That, that's kind of been what Mike Elias has followed. And you talked about that outfield depth. And a guy who's really knocking on the door for, for the Orioles is Yusniel Diaz. Hit a home run in the first spring training game the other day. And he's looking like he could be a five-tool talent for the Orioles if he puts it all together. Um, obviously the centerpiece of the Manny Machado trade. But with all of these outfield spots full, where does Yusniel Diaz fit into the equation for the Orioles this year? That's a that's a really good question, Zach, and I'm not, I'm not really sure where where he fits in right now. I think what he's got to do is he's got to go down to Triple A when when the Triple A season begins. And there's no question this is again a setback that they've announced that it's going to be at least a month late starting. And I won't be that surprised uh, if that that even becomes six or seven weeks late you know, before all is said and done. But I think Diaz will probably be at the alternate site during that, that month to six weeks before a triple-A starts. And he's just simply got to go go to triple-A, put up numbers that's, that show that he is finished developing, and I don't think he's done that just yet. Uh, and then what, what you'll see happen is then a Santander becomes really in play, uh, you know, to move for more young talent. So even though you hate that kind of cycle right now, that's what's happening right now. Well, yeah, and what um, one thing that Yasniel Diaz needs to do is prove that he can stay healthy. And on the same yep. thought process, Anthony Santander needs to prove that too. He's finished each of the last two years on the bench because of a labrum injury and then an oblique injury. So if either one of these guys are to become trade commodities, first they need to say, they need to prove that they can play every day. Diaz needs to work a little bit on his plate selection. He's had a few he had a I think four or five strikeouts in a row at one point this spring. Um these are problems that are good to have, and they tend to work themselves out. Now, Stan, I'm glad that you mentioned the minor league season being pushed back because also on that 30 Teams in 30 Days program, uh, Dan Plesak, his bold prediction was that we're going to see Adley Rutschman in 2021, said he's too good of a player to stay in the minors all year. Um, what does he need to do to make his debut this year, and does the pushback until May for all affiliates make his debut less likely because they're still going to be playing meaningful baseball in September? Uh, you know, I think that Rutschman probably will appear with the Orioles and it'll probably be past September 1st. That's what I think. You know, I'm assuming that he's going to, he's going to hit and that hit tool is going to be there because we've been told, you know, I mean, I didn't, did you see him play a lot in college? I paid attention when I when I realized that he was going to be the Orioles, probably the Orioles pick. I, I paid attention to his season in 2019. Okay, I mean, you actually saw him play uh, just a little bit, not a lot. Okay, uh, yeah, I, did, I, I did didn't see bit, enough yeah. of him uh, to 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 know you know know the kind of player he is. It's sort of a leap of faith, and you you know that uh, he's one of the top players. There's no question about it. But um, I would say he has to 
do sort of what Diaz has to do. There's no question he's ready up defensively to play in the big leagues. There's no question about that. He's just got to prove, and they have to match up the timing. You don't want to waste a year of his you know, service time um, right now, and I don't think that that's manipulating it. I think there, it's perfectly fair when a player truly isn't ready for the big leagues to hold him back. Uh, but I expect we'll probably see him in September, provided he does okay offensively where wherever he plays. And I'm going to assume he's going to start at Bowie. Uh, that's what I'm going to assume, that he's going to start at double-A. Yeah, I, think the I assumption... would anticipate that he would do very well there and then be able to go to triple-A and in the month of September come up and play for the yeah, I think the, the, the we anticipate that he's going to be at Double A Bowie. Um, but what people forget is that Adley Rutschman has played one and a half months of professional baseball in his career, and it's not like he lit the world on fire at Aberdeen. He 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 went on no, a nice. He did not. I, I saw a couple games, and he I won't say he was overmatched, you know, but I, he was not. Like a standout player. Well, he, he at, did hit. That time. He did hit three twenty five at Aberdeen, but it, then when he went on to Del Marva, hit like one fifty eight. Right. So, yeah, but yeah. but at, at Aberdeen, that three twenty five average was because in the last week he he went bananas, had a right. five for five game. I think his last game at Aberdeen, he was five for five with a home run and a double. Um, so that he came on late. And, and look, this is a guy who played a full college schedule. Uh, then he took a month off, a month and a half right. off from prof- from baseball, and then had to get back up, ramp things back up, and play professionally. I do think that he's going to light the world on fire in the minor leagues. I think he's that kind of player. But let's we, we got to hold our horses a little bit. I, I want to see him as much as anybody. The Orioles announced tomorrow he's going to be their opening day catcher. I'd be all for it. But he needs to get his feet wet. He needs to play minor league baseball and prove that he deserves to be on the major league roster. Now, another former first-round pick for the Orioles who's kind of getting some attention right now is DJ Stewart. Uh, and off to a nice start, Stan. He homered in each of his first two games. Did tweak his hamstring, uh, running out a ground ball in the second at bat yesterday. Was removed as a as a precaution uh, by Brandon Hyde. Does he have a chance to be a regular in this lineup? And we mentioned that that crowded outfield. Does he have a chance to play some in the outfield and some at DH and be an everyday player? Um, I think he's got a. I think he's got a chance because the uh, the odds of all five of those guys I mentioned at the outset of this interview, uh, you know, all all hitting on all cylinders the whole season uh, isn't likely. And, and uh, you know, that old expression that these things have a way of taking care of themselves, you know, one of those ways is exactly why Stewart was out of the game yesterday and probably won't play for a day or two, in my opinion, uh, is injury. That, that somebody will miss some time, uh, be on the DL, then when he comes back, somebody else will go down. But I think D.J. Stewart has a good chance, you know, being a left-handed batter at Camden Yards. Um, I think he's got a chance to get 300 at-bats this year. You know, I don't know that it qualifies him to automatically jump up and get 550 at-bats, but I think there's a way that things will play out this year, um, you know, between injuries and performance, that he'll get 300 at-bats against right-handed pitching, mostly against right-handed pitching. And I think he's shown enough to think he might be able to hit 15 home runs in those at-bats. Well, yeah, and, and here's the thing. 
this is a former first-round pick who's 27 years old now. He hasn't established himself as an everyday player, and he's been around for six years. It's up to DJ Stewart at this point. It's make or break. It's it's absolutely make or break for him. It's up to him to make Brandon Hyde say, you know what, I can't take this guy out of the lineup. And he has right. his on-base capabilities. That's one of the reasons he was a first-round draft pick. He was prolific at getting on base at Florida State, and he's shown that at the big league level. If he can hit 250, I think he's going to become an everyday player because that's going to be an on-base percentage approaching 390 if he's hitting 250, and the power is going to be there. We saw it in spurts last year. We've seen it this spring. It's just he's got to get the playing time, and he's got to prove that he belongs. And if he doesn't, He'll be gone after this year. I just don't. I think this is the make or break year for GJ Stewart. Now, another guy who's had nothing but break years over the last four years is Chris Davis. And Stan, he's hurt again. It took just two at bats before he tweaked something in his back. Even if he were to start putting up numbers again, Stan, it doesn't seem like this guy can stay on the field. Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, I, I'm, I'm sort of look up until this point. He hasn't really stood in the way of anybody, you know, um, and and I've kind of understood that, and I've sort of given the Orioles sort of a pass on it, but I think, you know, it's gotten to the point where this guy is really not a functioning Major League Baseball player. No, he's not. He's really not, and uh, I, I think, you know, look, we're talking about he's got this year left and one more year left on his contract contract's been uh, beyond a disaster, if if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it's just, uh, it's sad, you know. Um, I, I sat in on the Zoom interview with him the other day, and he was perfectly nice and everything. And sort of he alluded to the fact he's doing some things different. And somebody asked him the question, you know, well, can you explain what, what you're, and he said, no, you have, to, you have to watch me or something like that. I just, just, I won't say I was agitated. It just rubbed me the wrong way that, you know, he's trying to play coy uh, on what he's doing different. And, uh, you know, again, as you alluded to, uh, the injury bug has already hit him. And it's just, uh, I think it's time, you know. Uh, he's he's now, as I've said, with Trey Mancini and, and the five outfielders, you've got four positions, and you've got six players, you know, yeah. not not including Davis. He begins to take at-bats away from somebody you want to take a look at. And, uh, you know, a Diaz, a Rutschman, I don't have as a DH first baseman, clearly. But, you know, it's a, it's time that those players need the at-bats. And I think the team is being coy about it, but uh, I think you'll see him on the DL quite a bit. Yeah, I would think that you would. He was he was on the DL twice in the sixty game season, the IL, excuse me, uh, twice in the sixty game season last year. Now, Stan, this is something that I thought about um, yesterday when I was doing these notes. There's the potential for a work stoppage in in 2022. If that's right. the case, I don't know how, how contracts work, but. Does that still count as a contract year for Chris Davis, or would it move to 2023 once they get things resolved? Or could the Orioles keep him on the team this year and then not have to pay him at all next year, and then he's done? Um, I think, uh, you know, it's a great question, and I've lived through four baseball stoppages, maybe five. I think that if... if um, 
if the players don't play, I don't think service time is accumulated. I, I think that's right, yeah. I think yeah. that's that's generally what it is, but I think they they have to come to an agreement usually on what it is, and that you know it it definitely changes. If it's a player, if it's a player work stoppage, you know that they're uh, they're refraining from providing service. I don't think that they can get paid, but right. that also can roll into being a part as an industry how they handle that. You know, what, you know, in terms of. In ter- I, I, it's been so long since we've had a baseball work stoppage. You know, we've been close to 20 years without one, or to more than 20 years. Close without to 30 one. years. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been remarkable uh, the the peace in the labor uh, world in baseball. Uh, I'm trying to remember how they forget the payment, but how about service time accumulated? And it depends probably whether it's a strike or a lockout. You know. So it's uh, it's interesting. Well, Stan, before we let you go, uh, real quickly, uh, who do you envision as this team's closer? All Brandon Hyde's comments make it seem like it's going to be closer by committee, but he made similar comments last year and then favored Cole Salser in that role until he lost the role. And he did the same thing with Michael Givens in 2019, made him the closer until he proved to be ineffective in that role. If you were, put, were a betting man, um, who would you put as the having the inside track to be the team's closer on opening day? I would think the inside track right now, but with a large caveat, is Hunter Harvey. Uh, I, I still believe that. Um, and I think the, the thing that the fly in the ointment in discussing that is normally a closer can come back to back days. Right. And while I anticipate that Harvey will do that a few times this year, I still think there's enough caution with him uh, at least in the first half of this season, where I don't think you're going to see him take on the typical role of a closer that might come in two or even three days in a row to close out a game. Uh, so I think he will, if you ask me at the end of the year who will have the most saves, I think if Harvey is healthy, uh, he will probably have 20, 22 saves. But I think you will see a little bit of a committee after that. I think Valdez could possibly get a couple saves. You know, there's also rumblings that he might start games and not not be like an opener, but an actual starter because they think he can give them innings. Uh, Tanner Scott could certainly get a few. I I think Dylan Tate one day could be a closer. Uh, So I think those three guys, along with Valdez, you know, Harvey, Scott, and Tate, would be the guys that I see getting the saves. Tate's got to make the team, though, at the at the get-go. I'm always impressed with Dylan Tate. Yeah, they, they certainly have a lot of uh, young, powerful arms that can make a name for themselves. So, Stan, we got to get a break, but thank you so much for All the right. program. We'll always talk a pleasure. Week. Talk to you next week. Talk Bye. Next week. That was Stan the Fan. Charles joining us for his weekly segment here on the Batteron, which comes to you live from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Stan the Fan Charles has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Hall of Fame baseball writer Hal McCoy, while Stan and Gary chatted with Baltimore sports media legend Keith Mills. Both of those 
shows can be found under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. This Monday at 8 p.m., Stan and Ross welcome Jeff Lance, the director of communications for minor league baseball. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at c3america.com and call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797 or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. We're going to get a break. When we come back, the one and the only Jeremy Kahn will be on the program. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Great food and good sports are always at Glory Days Grill. Award-winning burgers, wings, ribs, and sandwiches. There's something for everyone. Dine in or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Get everything you're hungry for at Glory Days Grill. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? (sighs) Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. <laughs> Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on. Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kerstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Glenn and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round, coming to you from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance 
studio. On the line now from 105.7 The Fan, we have Jeremy Kahn. Jeremy, how are you today? What's going on, man? I'm good. Uh, we're glad to have you on the program. And uh, in honor of having Jeremy Kahn on the program, I did wear my most strong shirt today. Um, Love it. So, Jeremy, you have those um, Mo bobbleheads. They're, they're out and um, for public consumption right now, right? Yeah, I mean, they. It's funny because it's it's so cool, and it's one of the. I, I feel like um, each time something else gets done in Mo's name, it's it's the new coolest thing that I've had. But you know, like I've had multiple. This week was kind of a rough week. You know, get up in the morning, you're having a bad day. Hit that little button, I hear his voice, either laughing or you know shouting, "What's up, Baltimore?" or telling you about himself, and uh, just put a smile on my face. But um. They have become the bane of my existence, though, as everybody wants one. Right. And literally when I posted it, because a lot of this was put on me initially to get them out there, um, I mean, I've been hand-delivering them and dropping off at people's houses, and, and I'm putting together a spreadsheet today to really try to get these moved out so I know how many I have left until we put the next order in. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's super cool, but it's uh, it's exhausting at the same time, to be honest. Yeah, but I'm 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 sure you don't you don't mind the work because it's it's for such a great no, cause. I'd do anything for him. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's it's really cool. And then I you know like even one of my favorite things now is seeing people. And and I, I dropped one off for Eric DaCosta and his wife Lacey had uh, the, the, one of their sons open uh, open it up and unpack it and, and hit the voice button and um, and just seeing his reaction kind of it it made every single thing that I've been doing worth it. You know, like it's. Uh, that's one of my favorite things is when people I, I get to see the reactions of them posting those videos. Oh yeah, it's definitely a super cool thing, and it's it's what is it fifty dollars? But all the proceeds go to children's cancer. Is that correct? Yeah. So you know what's funny with, and I found out the hard way with um, with charities and different things, like the way that everything's worded, like all the proceeds, all the profit, like everything is going to, to Johns Hopkins Children's Center. So. Um, I mean, there'll be multiple donations made and it'll probably go to next year's total. Like this past year, you know, I helped out mix one of six, five and we raised 1.3 million for him, which was incredible during a pandemic. And then now already working towards next year and trying to put together a bunch of money to donate towards them. It's certainly a great cause. And we certainly appreciate you doing that now for your own, on the Jeremy Kahn side of things, you recently made the move to the morning show on 105.7 The Fan uh, with Jeremy with Jerry Coleman now going to the 6 o'clock hour that you were at last year. Uh, what prompted the shakeup uh, at 105.7? I mean, there's a, probably a couple of things. Like, um, you know, I, I've, always wanted to, I've always wanted to be a part of a morning show. When I got into radio, that's kind of where I started was in mornings. And um, I like that routine a lot better. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a couple of things. Like with Jerry, he, I think, you know, he wanted to move to a different time slot and kind of having his own show. So it worked out that we both wanted the same thing, and then ultimately management made it. And I know, like, if I can sit here and I don't want to say pat myself on the back, but, you know, my forte is talking about, you know, gambling, sports, uh, trying to be a little entertaining at times. Um, at least that's how I look at things, or at least what I try to bring to the table. And the fact that sports gambling is going to be legal in Maryland, um, and you're seeing it pop up everywhere with more and more places starting their own audio networks uh, surrounded you know, are basically all about gambling, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings. All, all these things are going to be readily available in the next few months, even here in, in Maryland. So um, I know that's something that I can bring to the table that most people don't that I talk about consistently. So uh, And I follow everything. So I, I think it just makes sense. And, you know, Rob and Ed and I have always gotten along together, so it's kind of, 
really cool to have a chance to work with both of those guys. Yeah, we I, I sent you a text about a month ago saying this is where you belong. You deserve to be on the morning show, so I'm glad that you're there. Uh, but what does this mean, though, that you won't be doing OBT? You won't be doing Orioles baseball tonight because a lot of times that bled into your show, so you would just do the pregame before the Orioles game. You, you know, it's funny. When they were talking about doing it at first, I was just like, you know, like it's doing a half an hour of radio. It's, eh, you know, like it wasn't – it wasn't my, my favorite thing by any stretch, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that being said, you know, like, um, once I started doing it, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I grew up, the Orioles were my team. They're, they're still like my only team. Um, but you know, it was one of those things where when you look at the situation, um, it's, it's pretty cool that to, to get an opportunity to actually kind of be a part of the team. So like, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. And it's funny as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm doing a live interview. Somebody stopped by my house to pick up a bobblehead. So, um, <laughs> this is this has been my life. I'm giving out my address, and um, here, this is happening live, Paul. So I'm sorry, I'm doing a radio interview. So only on the bat around, Jer- <laughs> Jeremy Khan handing out bobbleheads. Thanks, man. So, yeah, I, I guess I should get that guy's name so I can cross him off the list. But, but it, this is what my life's been like. This is what I mean. So you know, and sending text out, and it's one of those things where you got to be careful how many people you're giving your cell phone to. And I, I think I give it out readily to too many people and you never know when, who you're giving it to and now people have my address so oh, anyway man. i'm sorry paul no, <laughs> totally that, that's quite me. all right quite all right so <laughs> are you going to be doing orioles baseball tonight or does that fall to jerry to jerry coleman I, I keep calling him jerry i think jerry's going to be doing it they haven't talked to me about it See, part of the problem with it is that um it kind of gets put into what your salary is going to be or how we you know how we end up doing things at the station so they try to tie that into someone that has that position so now that jerry's going to be there i think he's going to do quite a bit of it they haven't approached me to ask me if i do any i'd be willing to do some of the weekend stuff too because like i said man once i started doing it i really enjoyed it right the chance to you know um interview guys some of the um the announcers whether it's jeff arnold brett hollander uh melanie you know any of those guys and and just talking about the team because I know you love baseball the same way I do. It's, it's I live and die by them, and it, and it does suck that they're not very good right now. But you know, I really did enjoy being a part of that. Well, they, maybe they're not very good right now, but they do have arguably the the feel good story of the year, uh, and especially with Mo's passing last year. What does it mean to see Trey Mancini get back out on the field after beating cancer? He and Mo were really close. I'm sure you've had a number of interactions with him. What does it mean for him, for the Orioles, and for the community to see him back on the field? Yeah, it's funny because, like, uh, you know, Trey, I, I mean, I've had plenty of interactions with him, and I'm not telling you, like, he's my best friend. or we're, I mean, we're extremely friendly, and, and we've chatted before, but, I mean, he's one of my favorite people just in general. Like, um, such an easy guy to root for, so likable. I know all the stuff that he was doing behind the scenes that didn't get publicized that he did for Mo, uh, whether you want to talk about the all-star break and taking him to Dave and Buster's or spending the day with him playing video games. Um, and, you know, once Manny left and, and Adam Jones left, he kind of took over as, uh, what's the right word, an ambassador for Mo almost. And it, and it wasn't just because he was looking for attention. He genuinely cared about him. And I got to see that firsthand, which was really cool. Um, and knowing what he went through and that, Mo was in the middle of chemo himself, and and you know people didn't know it at the time, but Mo was dying, and he put in a phone call to try to pick up Trey Spirits. So I love the guy, man, and I, I root for him. He's uh, he's become my favorite player. And, you know, when people talk about should we trade him, like selfishly, I don't want it to happen. If it's something that Trey wants, I want him ultimately to be happy and have a chance. But 
I'd love for him to be a part of this turnaround when this team gets good and be the leader of the squad when they're pushing for the postseason, when they're making those runs and possibly winning AL East um, you know, titles. I, I think that's ultimately important, but it's, it's such a great story, and he's such a, you know, just a wonderful human being. And um, in today's day, day and age, like, you don't get to see that as much as we'd like with athletes. They're guarded. They're protected. Everything's on social media. You know, we've got this cancel culture going on. You misspeak. You're recorded somewhere, so guys, and and the money comes into it too, because like you know they're they're very protective of who they bring around themselves. And Trey's just one of those guys that just I don't want to call him like an all shucks guy, but he's just he's unbelievably genuine. And um, and you know I think his story is incredible. And and even his teammates have been talking about. It. We've interviewed a, a bunch of guys this week that were like, man, it's been so cool seeing Trey come back. And his first at bat, all the guys they weren't allowed to be out there. That's what John Means told us. Like they weren't allowed to be out on the field. And they were trying to make their way somewhere where they could watch his first at bat when he came back because it meant so much to all of them. Yeah, he means so much to everybody he comes into contact with, to this community. And it was nice to see him get that ovation that kind of took his breath away for a little bit. And then, sure enough, he gets that base hit in his first at bat. I think we have the comeback player of the year on this roster. If Trey Mancini just goes out and is Trey Mancini in 2021, he's taking home that hardware. I can't imagine anybody else that would. Now, some other guys are looking to take home some hardware for the Orioles or this, this outfield group. This outfield group is highly publicized. They're probably the, the group that has the most attention paid to them outside of the starting rotation. Uh, right in the middle of that is DJ Stewart. And he's homered six. He homered six times in a week back in September after returning from the alternate training site. But then he finished the season in a four for thirty nine slump after starting the year zero for seventeen. What does it mean for DJ Stewart to get off to a hot start and put last year's bookends be, uh, behind him? Yeah, I think you know when you talk about a guy like DJ Stewart, he's um, he. God, I got another guy picking up a bobblehead. Paul, I told you this. This is my <laughs> life, man. Um, so anyway, the, uh, with DJ Stewart, I actually asked Mike Elias about that this week where it comes down to a guy that's played unbelievably well. And, um, you know, he talked about the pop that he's had in his bat, and he thinks that he's a guy that can actually win a spot in this outfield or at least be the full-time DH. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think when you talk about DJ Stewart, you've got a guy that is often forgotten about um, on, uh, as far as the outfield goes. Thanks, man. So. Paul, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. So it's, it's such a great it's, cause, man. You do what you got to do. Yeah, man. No, it's it's funny because I'm trying to make sure everybody gets them, and some people are really antsy about it. And um, actually, the guy that just showed up had sent me like I think like 15 messages. I'm like, hey, man, just come to my house and pick it up. So, um, but no, with, with DJ, like you know, and I'm sure you guys have thought about it as well. You got the battle for center field uh, between Austin and, and Cedric Mullins, and depending on how they want to do things defensively, maybe Austin slides to one of the corner spots. And, you know, Cedric's in center because I think Austin has a little bit better of an arm. And then you start looking at the other guys. All right, so where's Mountcastle? Are they DH him or playing him in the outfield? I think they want to get as much out of him in the field or at least learn as much about him as they possibly can. And Trey should be at first. And then you're looking at Santander. So you've got these outfielders. And, and I didn't even mention some of the other guys. Like, does Diaz work his way in to some point to being a guy? And you have the DH spot to work things, but – when I talked to Elias, he's like, he thinks DJ Stewart can be a starting right fielder in this league, has an incredible arm. Um, the key for him is staying healthy and being consistent. But, uh, you know, I like what I've seen from him, and I think he's kind of like the forgotten about player when we talk about all the guys on the roster. 
Hey, Jeremy, it's Zach Goodman. And, and there's a lot of guys that are obviously on the bubble for the Orioles right now, but one of them I think is Rio Ruiz, and I don't want to read into anything too much, but Ryland Bannon has played at third base and started almost as many games as Rio has this spring, and it seems like the Orioles are giving him a fair chance to, to stand out and become that third baseman, take over for Rio. Do you see Rio as a guy who's on the bubble, or do you think that the Orioles want to stick with him for at least three or four more months? I think you're going to see him get the opportunity first to prove that he can't do it, if that makes sense. And if, if, if we see Bannon just kind of lighten it up, because I think Bannon's ultimately going to end up being the guy there um, and then getting that opportunity to see if he can be an everyday major league player. Because the one thing about Rio is we, were, we kept saying this, what, for about the past year and a half, that when he, brings, you know, when he shows up, you know he's got a phenomenal glove. And so he's going to be great defensively at third base. We actually saw last year him have a little bit of a hiccup and have some issues at third, which I think is uncommon and a, and a bit of an anomaly. The big question for him is what's going to happen with his bat, because I don't know that he has a great major league bat. Now, he got the home run surge going early on, and that was something where it's like, okay, we'll see if this can continue. And, you know, he kind of – there were some ebbs and flows to his season. I just don't know. To me, he seems like – I don't want to call him a 4A guy – kind of a rotational piece and when you need him to start if he can pick up and play other positions great but I think ultimately he's not a part of this team's future unless he proves me wrong this year which hell I'd be happy to see it if he comes out and he starts raking because I think I think Rio's a great guy but again we got to see that major league bat and I don't feel like we've seen it well yeah and, and the thing about Rio is that you can just tell that to me anyway that he's a placeholder and I think that you know the Orioles envision either uh, Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg being their third base in the future. Both of those guys have gotten time at third base and at shortstop in the in the first few games of, of spring training this year. Ryland Bannon is getting that work because you can't just have one person on your roster that can play third base. And I do think that, that, that Rio needs that little bit of a push. There, there are some players, and I'm not saying that Rio is this guy, but there are some players who become complacent because there's nobody else pushing them. So he needs somebody behind him to push him, and maybe it will help him perform. But, Jeremy, I agree with you. I think this is a guy who's not part of the Orioles' future, and he's just kind of holding a spot right now. Yeah. I mean, there's – like, that was, that was the big thing. And I think even when I came on the show with you guys last year when we were talking about it, like, I don't get caught up in the wins and losses in a rebuild. Everybody asked for it and said they wanted it, and it sucks when you get in the middle of it and how long it typically takes if you do it the right way. But there's consistent placeholders. Like, even <clears throat> with all due respect to some of the guys that came in, Jonathan VR and – you know, people fell in love with Iglesias last year. And these, these guys are all fine. They're okay. And I think they could even help a team, you know, that, that is competing and trying to get to a World Series or to the playoffs, win a division, whatever it may be. But ultimately, on a team like the Orioles, they're all placeholders. They're not, you know, they're going to keep trying to see if these young guys can play. And when they feel like they're at that point, then they start spending money. And I know Ken and Jason interviewed John Angelos this week, and he was just kind of talking about the rebuild the Orioles being here and staying in Baltimore, that there's not any concerns or worries about it and all this other stuff. But, um, but you know, I think that's the big point when we look at this team is that you just have to – it's almost like watching a movie with an ending, you know, that, that sucks. It's, you know, trying to enjoy the ride here and root for these young guys to perform well, but ultimately knowing that you're not going to the postseason. I mean, hell, Fangraph said we had a 0.0% chance of making the postseason, which does seem ridiculous, but, you know, they're probably right. Yeah, this team isn't going to the playoffs. If they do, it would be the surprise of the baseball world. Um, now, yeah. uh, lo wins and losses 
are very much dictated by a team's pitching. Uh, and the Orioles pitchers in the first week of Grapefruit League action have certainly been up and down. They've wa- they Going into Friday's game, they had walked 20 batters in 35 innings, but also struck out 34 batters. Starters have registered an 810 ERA, which only went up uh, yesterday. Uh, and relievers have registered a 286 ERA, which definitely went up yesterday, giving up 10 runs. Um, are you surprised, though, by the discrepancy between the starters' ERA and the relievers' ERA? Do you read anything into that, or is it too early to put much stock in any of this? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because, you know, like we hear it all the time, and it sounds like coach speak kind of, um, hey, they're just getting their work in. And I, I was actually joking about this on Friday. Whenever they pitch bad, you say they're getting their work in. Whenever they pitch great, it's like, oh, he really had some things going today. And it's like, you can't, you can't lose in spring training. But for a team like the Orioles, I think guys like John Means and, you know, even even a Matt Harvey or Felix Hernandez that come in and throw. or um, I'd even put Dean Kramer in that mix because I think he's going to get a, a chance to prove that he doesn't belong if he does end up struggling. And, you know, he didn't have a great first outing. But, I mean, ultimately, I, I'm not looking at any of that stuff and I don't care. It's the other guys that are competing for a roster spot that are coming in that probably have a little bit more pressure on them in spring training. So, you know, if you're trying to compete for a spot, whether it's in the bullpen, maybe the back end of the rotation, you're probably going to want to come in with your best stuff where a guy like Dean Kramer can go out there and say, hey, I'm just going to work on fastball location. I'm going to snap all curveballs or whatever he wants to work on on that day and see how he's feeling as far as throwing and building that arm strength up. Um, so ultimately, I don't put too much stock in what I see in spring training. I mean, hell, I remember the year where we were talking about Jake Fox and he had his yeah. 10 bombs in the preseason or preseason spring training. And, uh, everybody was like, he's got to be on the roster and he didn't make the team. So, you know, ultimately there's a lot of things that the, the guys are looking at, um, that, you know, the people in charge that are going to matter a lot more. But I think for most of the guys, it's just about them getting their work in. Well, I got to tell you, man, credit to Jake Fox for having that big spring, because we still mention his name every year for the last eight years is having that. He's like the one guy, like Buck Walter always said, there's a lot of fools made in March and September. And man, we were made fools by Jake Fox in March of 2012. Uh, another guy, you mentioned guys fighting for his spots and guys who have to earn their spots and whatnot. Paul Fry, he's been on this team each of the last uh, two, se- three, two seasons Actually, no, three. He's going into his fourth season with the ball club. Had a nice bounce-back year after a bad 2019, but he's allowed six runs, Jeremy, in two innings, uh, covering two appearances, three runs in each of the of his innings of work. Are you at all worried about him, or again, is it just spring training baseball? I, I think he's a guy that's going to have a chance to prove that he doesn't belong, uh, and he'll be on the Major League roster you know, come opening day. We actually interviewed him this week, and you know he was talking about some of the things that he worked on the offseason. And, you know, I just kind of wonder how um, how things get looked at after last year. You know, like we had that weird shortened season. Um, it's still finished around the, the routine time, so the offseason is just about the same. But how that affected some of these players, because the guys that weren't on major league rosters that are now coming in, uh, you know, what did they do in the offseason? Did they stay in baseball shape? Are their arms fresh? Um, you know, there's just a lot of things that I think maybe the team knows a little bit more about than we do. Um, but Paul seemed – I mean, he seemed happy. He seemed like he was in, in good spirits and everything and just going out and trying to work every day. Uh, I actually loved interviewing him. He's a, he's a Michigan kid, so we were talking about he's a, um, a hard-luck Lions fan, so it was pretty funny talking about some of that stuff. But, you know, like I, I think he's got a live arm, and, and he's one of those guys, too, that he does get quite a few strikeouts. He's got a power arm, so um, I think they want him out there in the bullpen. And, again, that's another guy, and I hate to keep going back to it, but I think he's going to prove – 
think he's going to get that chance on the major league roster to prove that he doesn't belong um, if we see that in the first couple months. Now, there are going to be a lot of guys that make their major league debut this year, but who do you see being the first guy to make that debut? Is it Diaz? Is it Michael Ballman? Is it Zach Lowler? Maybe even a guy like Kevin Smith. Who's going to be the first one for the Orioles this year? I think, I mean, in my opinion, I would guess Diaz. Um, it all depends on the arms. And, you know, because, like, the hard part is in the first month, you, don't, you, don't, you realistically only need four starters. Um, there might be one of those odd days, and who knows if the Orioles are going to go – with an opener route, uh, with their fifth starter, how they decide to do it. But with some of the pitchers, I don't think they're in any rush to bring them up. And then realistically, as much as nobody's going to talk about it, we got to see when their clock gets started and how they want to do it as far as arbitration. Because, you know, for a team like this, there's, there's no reason whatsoever to rush any of these guys at all. Um, but, but, yeah, I would say Diaz, he's going to be the first guy. Because, look, he's been in all the levels of the minor league system, and now they want to see him at the major league level. So it wouldn't shock me to see him make the team out of spring training. But even if he doesn't, I think he's going to be the first one to get a call up. Yeah, and he just fits right in with that big group of uh, of performing outfielders. Now, uh, Jeremy, before we let you go, you brought up the fan graphs uh, thing that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, all these media outlets seem to be poking fun at the Orioles. Uh, has fans kind of, you know, kind of upset about it? Fans seem to be upset that the team is undervalued. These other teams, th- these outlets seem to be forgetting that the Orioles aren't the only bad team in baseball. Um, what are realistic expectations for this team? Of course they're not going to make the playoffs, but what, what, what are the realistic? Are you expecting another 100-loss season, or could we see real progress on the field this year? You know, the problem with that is, like, for me, I always look at it as individuals now when you're in a rebuild. Like, I want one or two of these guys that we, we, maybe we didn't bring up. Or, I mean, you brought up a DJ Stewart. I want to see, does he take a step forward? Does Austin Hayes stay healthy for a full season and look like a guy that you can rely on to bat at the top of your lineup? Um, the young pitchers, do we see, you know, a Dean Kramer kind of come out? And, and, you know, you have to love what you saw from him last year with his first two starts being against the Yankees. And I'm sitting there going, all right, he dominated him in the first start. Let's see what happens because they're going to make adjustments in the second. And he went out. He had a rough first inning, weathered that storm, and still only gave up a run and, and looked great. Um, so, like, for me, it's, it's kind of an individual thing. I'm not looking at a team aspect just yet. I want to see Hunter Harvey. I want to, you know, stay healthy and be dominant. Can he be a closer of the future? Does he get that opportunity this year? You know, that, those are all the things I look at at these young guys because ultimately with this team, there's a bunch of these guys here that might end up being 4A players, uh, might end up being traded or not even on this roster as far as, you know, in two years when we expect them to be competitive or at least getting on their way where we start to have expectations for the team and not just individuals. Yeah, it's it, it, it's so hard. And this it kind of reminds me of back during the, the 14 years where this team was just losing uh, every, every year where you stop watching for the team to do well, but you pick your favorite players and you watch to see how they do individually. And I think that right now, if you want to enjoy Orioles baseball, that's kind of what you have to do. Watch these young guys coming up. Watch them get their feet wet and see if they belong because we're still a year or two away from this team being competitive night in and night out. So, Jeremy, we got to get a break, but we certainly always appreciate talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the program today. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me anytime. And sorry for the bobblehead pickups. I guess no, man, it, control, it so. makes for good radio. We certainly appreciate Live it. Radio. <laughs> thanks, man. I right, have a great weekend. See you. I'll see you.
That was Jeremy Kahn joining us here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Jeremy's always a great guy to talk he to. He, he's he's one of a kind. He, he's one of a kind and certainly a good guy to have on your side. Uh, speaking of good guys that are good to have on your side, every Monday through Friday, Glenn, and, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might change show up on GCR. This week, the guys called up with Orioles pitcher Josh Rogers, potential Ravens first-round pick Rashad Bateman, ESPN's Joe Lenardi, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. We're going to get our second break. When we come back, we're going to do Orioles banter, a little segment we're calling Orioles in the Outfield. Great food and good sports are always at Glory Days Grill. Award-winning burgers, wings, ribs, and sandwiches. There's something for everyone. Dine in or order online at glorydaysgrill.com. And don't forget a growler of your favorite draft beer. Get everything you're hungry for at Glory Days Grill. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Orrstown Bank has been nationally recognized for its efforts in helping thousands of local businesses get Paycheck Protection Program loans. New PPP funding is now available. As an approved SBA lender and proven leader, Orrstown stands ready to help you and your business secure this much-needed relief. Funds are first come, first served. Visit Orrstown.com today to get started. Orrstown Bank, member FDA. FDIC equal housing lender. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son, we're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was and his daddy before him, like you and me and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farm subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Brent the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy, Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Let's 
Chris Jericho, Le Champion, AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. All right, welcome back to the Battle Round from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I'm Paul Valley. With me, as always, my co-host Zach Goodman. Uh, Zach, we're going to do Orioles banter right now. We're calling this segment "Orioles in the Outfield" because this outfield is living up to those expectations. And it is so, stacked. It really is. Stacked. It really, really is, especially that yeah. center field battle, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, Orioles outfielders right now batting 283 with five home runs and 14 RBIs in the early going for spring training. Anthony Santander, uh, look. Great power hitter. He's hit 261 in each of his first two years. In about 130 plus games, he has over 30 home runs with the Orioles. That that on base percentage super low. It was right around 315 right. last year. Um, so that Brandon Hyde said, "Look, we need you to be more selective at the plate. We need you to be able to get on base. And you know, if if you're more selective, you're going to be that much more dangerous. He's already a dangerous hitter. Right, right. You know, we saw him take Max Scherzer deep twice last year in a game." Um, but he's drawn five walks in his last two games. He only has three official at-bats because he's drawn five walks in his last two games. So it's nice to see that. We mentioned that center field battle. Uh, Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins, Mullins, they both lead the team with four hits and are batting 500 for Hayes and 444 for, uh, for Mullins, respectively. Look, I keep saying that Mullins is a fourth outfielder. But he just keeps playing good baseball. Yeah, he's hitting the ball well. I mean, this is a guy who really, in his minor league career, was was a good hitter. He was never a guy who is, you know, going to put up 30 home runs or something like that. But he was always a good hitter, got on base a little bit. He can steal. We know all about his defense. Mullins is a fine player. You know, he, he's he's a fine player who is a, is a fourth outfielder probably in the future. But... He seems like he's proving us wrong. Really can't hit from that right side, so I'm glad he gave that up. He was he was pretty ineffective, um, you know. From the left side, always had the more power, always got on base more from the left side. So I'm I'm glad he's sticking to that. I think that's going to pay off for him down the road. I I think left-handed hitters are generally more valuable in the first place, um, you know. So he's a guy who he's probably not gonna you know blow anyone away. But he, he's a solid player, and he's going to keep, you know, if he keeps hitting like this, he's, he, he can play his way into that starting position. But Austin Hayes is hitting the ball well, too. You talk about uh, plate discipline, and that's such a big thing for players these days. Everyone wants plate discipline, on-base percentage, OPS. It's so big in this game today. And the Orioles have a common theme of guys who don't get on base a lot. That's just the way it is, you know, and that's the way it's always been. You look at Chris Davis, Mark Trumbull, all of these guys, the Orioles were hitting more home runs than anyone else, and they had really low on-base percentages throughout the entire, really, 2010s. Um, and that's kind of continued. Austin Hayes is not a guy who has always has a high on-base percentage. Um, Santander, as you said, Mountcastle, they've all told, told these guys to work on their their on-base skills. And I think that's going to be really important going forward. But the way it looks to me, this outfield is stacked, and they've got a lot of guys who can really make a really make an impact. Well, and you mentioned the on-base percentage. Even Cedric Mullins, he hit 271 last year, but he only got on base at a 310 clip. Right, and, and, and 310, 315, not going to cut. That's, that's just a little that's, low. That's a nine-hitter. The Orioles yeah. envision him as a leadoff hitter. That's a nine-hitter. You know, Austin right. Hayes needs to prove that he can get on base. Uh, and look, and I know we've talked about him at nauseum at this point, but DJ Stewart, this is a guy, he, he is, I don't think people realize how big he is, how big his role is with this team. Because 
we could see if DJ Stewart doesn't play well, you're going to see a lot of games of Mullins in center yep. and Hayes in left. It's up to DJ Stewart if they want to keep Brian Mountcastle in left field. It's up to DJ Stewart to take over that DH spot because otherwise, you're going to see a lot of Mountcastle DHing with Hayes in left field so they can get that 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 good defense on the field. But Hayes, uh, I, I'm sorry, Stewart, he is. I, I, I'm, I'll scream it from the mountaintops. He is your two hitter. If he hits 250, that on base percentage is going to approach 400. He'll hit 25 home runs. Stan said you can see him getting 300 at bats. I think that's probably realistic. Yeah, uh, around that. Yeah. I don't think he's a 500 at bat guy right now. No. But then Mike Elias says that he thinks. De- now, of course, he's not going to condemn his own player. He's not going to say, no, he's more of a fourth outfit. He thinks that DJ Stewart is an everyday player in right field and has a really strong arm. I noticed his strong arm last year. I kept seeing him make throws, and I was like, wow. He's got a pretty solid arm very, out Very there. surprising. Doesn't seem like a guy who would, but he moves surprisingly well for his size. I mean, he's not a he's not a big guy, but he's he's on the bigger side he's for stocky. outfielders. He's, he's stocky. stocky. Yeah, he, he moves surprisingly well. He's got surprising speed. I remember one of the old uh, Bowie Bay Sox managers was always talking about how fast DJ Stewart was and how he's always really underappreciated for his speed. But um, you know, he's a guy who. It has 30 home run power. I saw you say it on Twitter the other day. He has it. If he can put it all together and he makes more contact, he can have 30 home run power. If he's a guy who hits you know, 230, 240, and then can give you that 30 home run power off the bench, I think that's a, a great option for the Orioles, and especially with, with all of the walks he puts up. Like you said, he could get up you know, to 400 on base percentage, and that OPS is going to be, if he's hitting 30 home runs, that's going to be a 900-plus OPS. Yeah. So it, it's it's a really, that's a solid profile. And, and let's... Let's be realistic here about about these players, right? We mentioned Santander. He's walked five times in his last two games. He's going to be playing tonight because it's his day to play. Yep. Um, eventually, we're going to see these guys play back-to-back games. It hasn't happened yet because we're only in the first week of spring training, but it's going to happen at some point. Um, one of these guys, I'm telling you right now, one of these guys in this group is going to be traded this year. I Oh, I totally agree. It, it, it's going to happen. Whether it's Santander or DJ Stewart or Yusniel Diaz, I think Hayes, it could even be Cedric Mullins. I would not be surprised in the least to see Cedric Mullins be traded to a team who envisions him like a Michael Bourne type of player. Yeah. Um, that, that's a perfect comparison right there, Michael and, Bourne. Yeah. And the, the, the thing about this group is... They want to make room for Yusniel Diaz. Right. They want Santander hitting in the middle of their order. They need a DH, and that's DJ Stewart. I do think one of these guys is going. Yeah, I, I was actually talking about this with a friend. He brought it up, and he was talking about Santander, and he thinks he's a perfect candidate to be moved. And I think I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on the train of, of the trade Santander train before, but now that I look at it, I, I think if you look at it from the perspective, is Anthony Santander at his ceiling right now? That's the question the Orioles have to ask themselves. Is he the best player possible is his value the highest right now that they could trade him today and get the most out of him and I think the answer might be yes I I think he's a great player and I think he might you know have another great season this year but is he at his ceiling maybe maybe close to it maybe you can maximize value right now and especially if Yusniel Diaz knocking on the door you've got Heston Kerstad maybe two years away he's already polished bat You've got guys like Ryan McKenna who are going to have to play at some point. They're going to come up. You need to make space. And Santander can be traded for you know young pitching talent. Somewhere else the Orioles have a need, where in the, as in the outfield they have so much depth there. So I, I think Santander trade, it's going to hurt to see him go. He's been a fun player, and he would, he would be a productive player for the Orioles this year, but I think that's the move they got to make right now. Well, and the... the- He's got four years of control, including this yeah, year. Yeah, teams love he, that. He's a switch hitter with power from both sides. He's he, he's a, he's a, he's a serviceable hitter from both. He, yeah. He's not weak 
on either side of the plate is what I'm trying to say there. Uh, he's a gold glove finalist in right field. And, and it's crazy, man, because we're talking about this plethora of talent that the Orioles have yep. in the outfield. And a lot of these guys may not be here in two years. DJ Stewart might not be here. Cedric Mullins might not be here. Diaz, Santander. Because like you said, Heston Kerstad's coming. Right. And you don't. he plays right field. You don't draft Heston Kerstad second, second overall. overall yep. For him not to be your everyday right fielder. Where does Santander play? Right field. Where does Justin right. Yesniel Diaz can play all over the field. He prefers center field, but he's played a lot in left. He's played some in right this spring. Uh, two starts in left, one in right in his three games this spring. He'll probably get some time in center field. Uh, the, the, the thing that worries me is the inability to stay healthy, right? Uh, Austin Hayes has, yeah. been, has been injured every year since 2018. 2018, he had the thumb injury. 2019, he had the shoulder. Uh, 2020, he had the, br- the cracked rib. Some of this isn't his fault. He broke his thumb sliding into second base on a steal. He broke his rib getting hit by a pitch. The shoulder was his fault. He tried to balk up and, yep. do, and do a different regimen than he was used to because he felt like that would help him stay at the big league level. It didn't work. He ended up hurting himself. So it's, it's one of those things where two of those three injuries are fluky, but they still happened nonetheless. So and then Santander had the torn labrum, or the the injured labrum. He had the oblique strain. Uh, Diaz has had injuries with the hamstrings and the quads and the knees. Uh, so and he's only 24 and he's having leg issues already. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, these are good players, but can you count on them to stay on the field? And there's too many of those guys right now, and that that's actually a concern. Like uh, Santander, the reason he was Rule Five eligible in the first place, the reason Dan Duquette was able to get him is because he had a shoulder injury right. that the Indians thought would be basically limiting him from doing anything at the major league level. He got past that; he became a solid major league player. But I look at a guy like that, especially. I think Santander. There's so much risk there because he hasn't played many full seasons. Austin Hayes. I, I think him and Ryan Mountcastle are the two biggest locks right now for guys that I don't think will be moved. Uh, but again, Austin Hayes, you have to worry about the injury history because he can't stay healthy, and that's just the way it is. And Yusniel Diaz is a guy who really is in the same you know, the same boat, hasn't been able to stay healthy. Stam was talking about it. He hasn't put up a lot of full minor league seasons. So the Orioles have a lot of guys like that right now. I think the best course of action is trade Santander, make room for Yusniel Diaz, and then let DJ Stewart get his at-bats here and there as well. So I, you know, I, it's a crowded place, but you got to, you know, maybe it works itself out. Maybe a guy gets injured. Maybe a guy end up, ends up being a bust. You, you just don't know. But, um, you know, trading Santander is the way I think I would start everything. That that's surprising because I, I I was on the train that says that when this rebuild comes to fruition, I think that Anthony Santander is going to be the best player to come out of this rebuild, and, not and named yeah, Adley Rutschman. Uh, I I think that guy is ultra talented. Yeah. I'm higher on him than I am on Diaz. When I when I watch Diaz play, look, he he's a guy who when the lights shine the brightest, he performs the best. Yep. So I think that he'll be a quality major leaguer. But I've watched Anthony Santander do this consistently for the last two years. Again, he hasn't stayed healthy, but when he's on the field, he's the Orioles. Uh, he's one of the Orioles' best players. Uh, Diaz, he gets hurt. He's, he's only 24, and he's already had the leg injuries, like I said. it's He's been in this organization. Now, this is now going to be his third year in this organization. Fourth year. 
his fourth year. Seems, came, seems like a guy who should have debuted already. He should have been there yeah. by now. If he's that yeah. centerpiece of that Manny Machado trade, yeah. I feel like he should have been on this roster at some point in 2019. Not, oh, I, I agree. Not fringe roster worthy in 2021. It's it, like put up or shut up. And maybe that's the Orioles basically, you know, manipulating service time. I'm not saying they do that was the case with that, but maybe they want him down, you know, until they're competitive. Maybe that's what the Orioles want out of Houston Diaz. Maybe that could be the case. I don't know, but it, it, you're right. He he was the centerpiece of that trade, and he hasn't been all that great. He put up, I think it was like right over 800 OPS in his last minor league season, which is good. It's really good. But obviously that number is going to come down in the major leagues. It's not going to be that good. So it's he, he's a good player. I still think the five-tool potential to, potential is there. I, I'm still very excited about using LDS. And he's got monster power. Brandon Hyde was talking about it the other day. He has monster power. Yeah. So if it all works out, using LDS is a, is a good player for the Orioles, maybe better than good. And Anthony Santander is a, is a great player too. You just got to balance about who you think is better. Has Santander reached the ceiling? I think there's just so many questions for the Orioles there right now. Well, I think that this year is going to go a long way to yeah. proving whether or not Santander. I think that there's more to be to be unleashed by Santander. Maybe, I, yeah. I think that it, when, if he's more selective. And it seems like he is. I think that only bodes well for him. I think that you see that on base. You obviously, if he's more selective, you're gonna see that on base percentage go up. But I also think you're gonna see the power numbers skyrocket because he's not gonna swing until he gets his pitch. And right. they say you get your pitch once every at bat. Maybe he's locked in because he's seeing so many pitches that he sees that pitch more that he hits that pitch more often than not. Now, Zach, we talked about being more interactive on this program, and we wanted to talk about the comments that some of these people are leaving um dude i i apologize if i if i mispronounce your last name here we have a lot of comments from aj mccarry i'm gonna say his last name is pronounced mccarry um he thinks that that uh uh austin hayes he reminds him a lot of nolan reimold nolan reimold's injuries some of them were fluky some of them were like muscle things and like the neck thing and all that um I certainly hope that's not the case. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I get, I get the comparison. Yeah, top prospect gets injured a lot. You know, really a lot of tools. I, I can see it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize at one point Nolan Rymel was a top 100 prospect. He was. Yep. Yeah, and um, I, I hope that's not the case. I think the Hayes could ultimately end up being a better player. I think he's faster. I think they have similar power. I think they, that Hayes is probably a better fielder. Um, but I like that comparison as far as they're similar players. But I don't like the injury comparison. Uh, he also says. Imagine if we kept Mike Yastrzemski. And, look, I don't want to imagine if we kept Mike Yastrzemski because, look, he, he got traded when he was 29 years old. Mike Yastrzemski yeah. is 31 years old. He's 31. And, yeah, he, and he's only in his third big league season. Trey Mancini, we're talking about him as he might be too old for the rebuild. Right. He, he's, Trey Mancini's 29 years old. He's, he's about to turn 29 years old. Um, Mike Yastrzemski was never going to factor into this rebuild. Right, he may help you in the short term, but ultimately you look at when the Orioles are, are competitive in, what, 2023, 2024, what's he going to be like then? I mean, 33, that, 34 years right. old. A 33, 34-year-old uh, center fielder slash right fielder. Like, look, I like what he's done. He's, I, it's been surprising. He's been great. I have, But I have no sour grapes about Mike Yastrzemski. I agree. None. This is just a guy who, he never did at the minor league level what he's done at the major leagues. Nobody saw that coming. He, I also think you have to question the fact that if he doesn't go to San Francisco, does he become the player he is? Maybe San Francisco figured out something. Maybe they said, here's what's wrong with your swing. Here's how you fix it. Here's how you become a better player. We don't, we don't know what he would have been in Baltimore. Yeah, there's, and again, even if he was that same player here, at 33, 34 years old, you're not building your team around Mike Yastrzemski. 
Good player, never did this at the minor league level. Nobody can say they saw this coming. He, he was a solid hitter, and he has that name, Mike Yastrzemski. He has the name, yep. you know. Um, but, look, I just, I'm not, I've never been upset that he got traded. I was a little upset that, like, okay, another guy leaves the Orioles and puts up big numbers. But I also knew writing was on the wall. 29 years old, has never made his major league debut. That dude was never going to factor in. Zach, you got to pay some bills. i got to get Jim Hunter on the line. All right, the latest edition of PressBox is available now on the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area's schools. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBox. PressBoxOnline.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4. Available on a hybrid or gas model only. A RAV4 can get you anywhere you need to go in style. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Excellent work as always, Zach. Certainly appreciate it. On the line right now, uh, we have former Orioles broadcaster and a guy I've known for a really long time, Jim Hunter. Jim, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? We're doing very well. I've been Wanting to get you on the program for a while now. I'm glad that we could uh, finally work things out. And Jim, we're gonna we're gonna dive right in here. We're gonna address the elephant in the room. Massa made a number of cuts to their broadcast team uh, this season, and unfortunately, you were one of the casualties. Uh, much to this may of Orioles fans, after an unexpected unexpected diminished role due to COVID in 2020, where you was called off guard as the rest of us when your contract wasn't renewed this season. Well, first of all, the uh, diminished role in 2020 had nothing to do with COVID. They had already decided uh, that uh, I wasn't going to do play-by-play last year before COVID hit. Uh, that meeting was February 11th, which uh, happened to be the first day of spring training, and my role was going to be uh, reduced, uh, well, totally reduced, <laughs> no play-by-play at all, and I was going to do some other things uh you know, uh, features for Masson, uh, interviewing minor league players, which uh, didn't happen because of the minor league season. So uh, COVID had nothing to do with uh, me not being on the broadcast last year. I, I think that uh, w- was assumed by people. I, I don't know if, if the club uh, portrayed it that way, but uh, it, w- it was very convenient when uh, COVID uh, mutilated the season and uh, they had uh, only, what, 60 games last year. So uh, that, that's just not that, that's just not correct. COVID had nothing to do with me not being on the air last year. Uh, but having said that, I, I kind of expected that uh, they were going to be doing some things this year. When when you're told you're no longer doing play-by-play after 23 years of being one of the main broadcasters, uh, you, you kind of have it in the back of your head that they're going in a new direction, and that's what they decided to do. So uh, you know, on we go. Um, now, look, you mentioned the 23 years, and you did, a, you did an outstanding job to use one of your famous phrases. Um, I expected a better send-off, personally. Uh, are, are there any hard feelings towards the organization, or is this just the nature of the business? Well, you know, Paul, I, uh, I, I, I try not to be bitter. Uh, organizations, businesses, you know, they're, they're allowed to do what they want to do. Uh, the, on, the only thing I would say about it is... Uh, they waited until January 20th of this year to let me know that I wasn't coming back. And uh, if, if anyone has any uh, affection for people, uh, they would have let me know, you know, by Halloween last year, uh, because 
let's face it, baseball jobs are uh, very few and far between. And uh, if, uh, if if one is available, they're certainly not going to be available on January 20th. And uh, to let all of us uh, know, you know, Gary and uh, Mike Bordick and the others uh, that weren't coming back to wait until January 20th, uh, it basically told us, uh, okay, uh, you're not going to be working anymore in baseball because all the jobs are taken. Right. Uh, so that that's really the only thing. I mean, if if, if you care about, you know, I, w- I was there 24 years, including the year I did no play-by-play, and if, if someone is that much a part of your organization, in my opinion, you, you just have, uh, uh, you know, you should tell somebody that they're not in the plans for moving forward for 2021 prior to January 20th of 2021, uh, because, uh, you know, it, obviously they knew that all of us weren't coming back. They, they just decided for whatever reason, and again, I have no idea why, uh, to wait until that day. But, uh, you know, I mean, but I, 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 it would be bad for me as a person to be bitter because that would affect me as a person. It wouldn't affect them at all. So there's no reason to, to have any kind of feelings like that. They want to go in a new direction, you know, whatever they decide to do, you know, go ahead. Uh, they lost all their familiar broadcasters because they didn't bring them back. And, uh, you know, we, we just move on. Yeah, it, it's, it comes down to common courtesy. And it would, have been, it would have been nice to let you have an opportunity to get some work in, uh, in 2021. I totally see where you're coming from with that. Now, Jim, your first season in Baltimore happened to be 1997, the 98-win wire-to-wire campaign that, quite frankly, should have resulted in at least a World Series appearance. The Orioles were the best team in baseball that year. Instead, the offense goes cold in the ALCS. They watch the Indians go to the World Series. And after that year, the franchise would not post another winning season for 15 years. A, was that 97 the best team that you saw in Baltimore? And two, uh, I'm sorry, B, why couldn't this team produce a winner for so long after that? <laughs> well, uh, it, it certainly was. And when I came here in 97, uh, I, I thought, wow, this is going to be great. This is a, a veteran team, and uh, they won on opening day and were never not in first place the entire year. And the reason they didn't go to the World Series was two hung sliders by Armando Benitez. Yeah. Uh, one was in Game 2. Uh, Marquise Grissom hit a home run at Camden Yards that uh, the Orioles were on the verge of going up two games to none heading to Cleveland. And then uh, the one to Tony Fernandez that, that was the only run in the extra inning game that uh, was the deciding game for Cleveland winning independent. Uh, that, that was a very good team. I mean, they had uh, a tremendous bullpen. They had tremendous starters. Uh, you know, let's not forget, I mean, Eric Davis was a big part of that team, and he had cancer and missed most of the year. Yeah and then came back in September and was a big part in the postseason. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was, uh, without a doubt, the, the best team that I was around because it had everything. You know, it had, uh, you know, Roberto Alomar, future Hall of Famer, Cal Ripken, a future Hall of Famer, uh, Mike Messina, future Hall of Famer. There, there were uh, just so many quality players on that team. And for the most part, Davey had, uh, Davey Johnson was the manager. He had a set lineup. And, you know, B.J. Serhoff played left field, and Cal played third base, and Mike Bordick, uh, that was his first year with the Orioles. He he was a steady influence defensively, so uh, Palmero had a great year at first base. Uh, Chris Hoyles was the catcher, and I, I remember when, when Hoyles uh, got hurt, Lenny Webster, uh, he caught just about every game because Davey Johnson didn't trust the backup they brought up from AAA, so poor Lenny had to <laughs> bear the bulk of it until Hoyles came off the DL after uh, about a month on the disabled list. So, yeah, there's no doubt about it. That, that was uh, 
that was the best team in, in my tenure in Baltimore because they had everything. They had an answer for anybody, and they just knew how to go about uh, doing their job and each player doing its, his own job uh, to make sure that the team had a chance to win. That, that, that was a wonderful team and uh, a lot of really good guys on that team as well. Yeah, and, and you know, ap- apologies to the 2012 and 2014 teams. I know that those teams are in the hearts of a lot of Orioles fans, especially the new generation of Orioles fans. But 97 will forever be my favorite season uh, in Baltimore. Um, now, the the other part of that question, why couldn't this team win for so long? Do you think that it was – so Peter Angelos, he goes out um, after, the, in, after the 98 season and he signs Albert Bell to this big contract. He only plays about uh, – he plays less than two years before injuring the hip and retiring. He gives out that big contract to Scott Erickson, and he only pitched one full season after signing that big contract. Do you feel like he was hesitant to give out contracts to other to big big contracts to big name players because he was so snake bitten by those two contracts? Well, I, I think there's probably some validity to that because when you uh, give out a big contract to Albert Bell and then he can't play, and you know Scott Erickson. Uh, I, I think for half at least of that contract, you know, it's a long time ago. I don't remember exactly, but uh, for half of that contract, he he wasn't the pitcher that he was when he signed the contract. Uh, but but I think I think the the real uh, reason the team started to go the other direction was uh, I, I think in '98. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the great veteran presence in '97, mm-hmm. but I think in '98 they they just some of them started to get old, and you know there is a shelf life when you're uh, effective and at the top of your game in Major League Baseball, and, and I think in '98 that started to happen. And you know, Davey wasn't the manager in '98. Ray Miller was the manager, and uh, I believe they finished four games under 500, if my memory's right, yeah. in '98. So they were competitive. They just weren't competitive in the sense that they had a chance to go to the postseason. And uh, that was Pat Gillick's last year in Baltimore, and then they went in a new direction with Frank Wren in 99. And, uh, you know, a lot of the moves that they made obviously didn't work out because the in 98 it began 14 straight years of losing seasons. But, but uh, I think one of the things, you know, with Peter is that he always he cared about the fans so much that he always wanted – to have players on the team and in the lineup that they could identify with. And that's why a lot of the contracts that he signed with free agents, you know, not Scott Erickson because he was an Oriole already, but guys like Albert Bell and, you know, then he brought in Joe Carter, uh, Sammy Sosa late in his career. And he brought in all these players because he felt like the Oriole fans deserved to have players on the team that, that were stars and, uh, they could identify with, but unfortunately, when he signed a lot of those players, they were past their prime and were not the players that they were when they uh, uh, obtained all of their fanfare and uh, their notoriety. So, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Paul. I, I think when you when you do give out a couple of contracts like that, and then uh, all of a sudden they don't work out, the, you are a little hesitant. Uh, to, to sign another player to a longer-term deal because it might not work out. Uh, but, but I think the, the, the bigger issue is some of the contracts he did give to players who were past their prime simply because he cared so much about the fans that he wanted the fans to have somebody in that lineup that they could identify with. I think that that's a nice sentiment for Orioles fans to hear because a lot of people, for better or worse, do not like 
Peter Angelos, and they feel like he's been the downfall of this organization. But I've always seen that guy, for the most part, as being willing to spend money and bring in players that people wanted to see. And, you know, he kind of loosened the reins a little bit when he saw that it was time to take this team in a different direction. Uh, now, Jim... Uh, the last year that the Orioles really lost during that uh, during that stretch was 2011, and one of the guys that was leading that front office during that long stretch of losing was Mike Flanagan. And uh, as we've gone on through the years, we've realized that many men put in were put in place to right the ship that were handcuffed, uh, whether by ownership or whether by um, other things. Flanagan shouldered a lot of that blame, and unnecessarily so. And the night that we lost, Mike, you were on the air. Uh, word came in in the later innings against the Twins of his passing. You and Jim Palmer had to continue that game knowing what you knew. Was that the hardest night of your career, and how did you guys maintain your composure knowing that on the air? Well, we uh, we just had to go forward because uh, of the nature of uh, his passing. The, there was an investigation, and we found out, uh, I believe it was the third inning, and, you know, you had nine innings to go, uh, or nine innings to play, rather, and uh, we were told that we couldn't say anything because there was an investigation, and uh, everyone was waiting for Mr. Angelos to uh, make the announcement publicly, and, and that didn't come until, uh, I believe, as soon as the game ended. Uh, I remember uh, going down and interviewing Buck on the post-game show, which we did uh, on Mass, and if the team was on the road, the play-by-play announcer would go down and, and interview uh, the manager, and uh, that that was tough. But uh, basically what Jim and I had to do, and you know, I, I give him a lot of credit, I I honestly think if if they gave such things, he he should have won an Emmy Award for that performance that night because, uh, you know, he was very very close with Mike and former teammates, and you know I I knew Mike a lot of years and was very fond of him and, and was friends with him, but but not like Jim was, and uh, we basically just had to uh, ignore what we knew had happened and and concentrate on the game. And Paul, that's the great thing about being a baseball announcer is that. You know, no matter what happens and what goes on, and you mentioned the 14 straight losing seasons, you still have today's game to go talk about. And uh, baseball, it doesn't matter if you're the worst team, the best team, or, or an indifferent team. Every game has uh, something that it's going to give you that you could talk about. And basically, that's what Jim and I, uh, Jim and I did. We we just uh, and, and our, our producer Dawn actually uh, gave Jim the option if he wanted to leave he could leave and we would just explain it that he was ill or something, you know, but uh, he said, no, no, I, I'm going to stay. This is what I do. I'm a pro and I'm going to stay and do this. And uh, it, it was very, very tough because we knew the inevitable was going to come that uh, the announcement would be made by Mr. Angelos and, and that everyone would know what we knew from the third inning on. But yeah, there's no doubt about it. That, that was the most challenging broadcast and uh, and the most difficult to get through because of the affection that we all had for Mike. Yeah, I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget watching the game and getting the news on my phone and then watching you and wondering if you all knew. And then when you finally said that you did know, uh, it was it was a tough night for everybody in Baltimore. Mike Flanagan, a former Cy Young Award winner who was enamored in the hearts of so many fans in Baltimore and across the country. It was a really, really tough loss, but you guys handled it um, beautifully, in my opinion. Now, one of the things that you just said is that there's always the next game. There's always the next season. Uh, the next season, 2012, uh, the Orioles began a five-year stretch where they won more games than any team in the American League, and they made the playoffs three times. 
despite that success, Jim, they still didn't win a World Series, and they still haven't won one since 1983. With that in mind and the current rebuild, what should or what could the Orioles have done differently over that five-year run to ensure long-term success and perhaps their first World Series? In other words, what I'm asking is, was the rebuild avoidable? Well, that that's hard to say because, uh, again, players have shelf lives, and uh, you, you have to... Uh, determine uh, whether or not uh, the players that they keep or players that uh, they elect to let go uh, should have been part of the plan. And uh, the unfortunate thing is, you know, you had two very strong-willed people uh, running the organization. You had Buck in the dugout and you had Dan Duquette uh, in the front office, and Dan did a great job. I mean, you know, let's not forget a lot of the moves he made in 2012 were the one of the reasons or a big reason why they won that year is because he brought players in uh, that helped Buck win more games to get them into the wild card. Uh, and and again in 2014, I mean, you know, he he was the one that put that team together, Dan Duquette. So uh, you know, it, it's hard to say whether uh, they knew that was going to happen. I mean, you know, Paul, ba- baseball is a, a sport where if you're in the playoffs in 2016, which they were you're not guessing that in 2017 it's going to all fall apart. You're, you're yeah. thinking, uh, let's make a move here, let's make a move there, and build on what we already have, which is a quality team. Um, I, you know, the, the rebuild that they're doing now, I think when they got to the point uh, after the 2018 season, which was two years removed from the playoff, that they really did have to, to rebuild. And, you know, when uh, they went and hired Mike Elias, who had been through the exact same thing with the Astros, and look what they became. Um, you know, the fans could argue, well, it doesn't have to be this drastic. I'd like to know somebody who's on the team other than Trey Mancini, who I know his name. Uh, but uh, in my opinion, they, they're going about it in the right way, where they're not. Uh, there are no shortcuts. They're they're. They're building it from the bottom up, and then once they decide that it's time to move forward, that's when they they should go out and uh, get the veteran players. You know, prospects are great, but you don't know if they can play at the big league level. But you develop prospects for two things, for for yourself uh, to hopefully become a big part of your team or to trade for players that you know can play. And, uh, you know, I don't know how close they feel they are. They obviously don't feel they're that close this year because uh, any player who – who was very, very good last year that was about to make any money this year, they got rid of. So obviously they don't think they're, they're ready to win this year. But uh, I, I have to respect the fact that uh, they, they are uh, true to their cause, that they're rebuilding in this manner, and they're not going to deviate from that. There's going to be no shortcuts. So whenever they decide they're on the verge of, of actually being able to compete, uh, they're going to go forward. I mean, I, I wish there were more players on that team that fans could identify with, and you know, hopefully uh, fans by the end of the year will be able to go back uh, in mass. I know at the beginning of the year it's going to be uh, – players or, or fans are going to be limited to how many can get, get in there. But by the end of the year, if everyone gets vaccines and uh, they're able to go at will, uh, it would be nice for those fans to be able to go and know who's on the field. Uh, you know, maybe by then some of the players that they're building the future on will be up. Who knows? I mean, uh, the, the minor league season is already now going to be delayed a month from what they thought, and it was going to be delayed anyway. Uh, so, 
the, the, the players that they're building with, they, they have some quality there. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, I, I remember a long time ago when Andy McPhail ran the team, he told us in, in a uh, meeting with all the broadcasters, he said, if you want to develop 10 pitchers uh, in your organization, you better have at least 30 to pick from. And I always think back to that because that's kind of what Michael Elias is doing now. If you notice how many center fielders he's signing or, or drafting or uh, how many shortstops, how many middle, you know, up the middle is where they always look because they're usually the best athletes. And he, he's uh, building himself a stockpile uh, of a lot of players to choose from. And if they all work out for him, that's great. Uh, and if they don't, uh, you know, look at Yusniel Diaz, who is uh, one of the t- uh key guys they got in the Machado trade with the Dodgers, uh, he, he might be breaking camp with the team this year if there was a minor league season last year, or he might have already made his major league debut last year. Who knows? So, you know, the, I, I believe the rebuild is going in the right direction. Uh, whether it could have been avoided, no one can honestly say that, but uh, I think when it did get to the point where they were not competitive and, uh, you know, the 2018 season uh, turned into Adley Rutschman the following year because they had the number one overall pick. Yeah. So, you, you know, you build, you build from what you got and you go forward. But somewhere along the line, it's obviously not this year because they've already would have done it, but maybe it's next year or hopefully the year after that, but at the absolute latest that they decide, okay, we, we have our base, now we're going to go forward. Because if you look back to the Astros, they actually got in the playoffs a year ahead of their schedule, and then the following year they regressed a little bit, and then they realized that, yeah, they had a good core of young players, but they had too many young players. They needed some veterans to come in there and teach them how to win, and then they went out and signed a few veterans, and that made all the difference in the world because then they had a nice blend. And I'm sure the Orioles are going to get to that, but uh, it's hard to say, Paul, if you know that, that a team is going to just uh, fall apart as it did in uh, 2018. Yeah. Uh, but but they're, in my opinion, they're doing it the right way. I, I just uh, hope for the fans' sake that it's sooner than later uh, that they 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 feel they cross that line where they now can compete and they they add players uh, that the fans can identify with. Hey Jim, it's Zach Goodman, and I, I want to kind of go back to to 2017, 2018 when Manny Machado was you know the superstar for the Orioles, and fans kind of learned that ownership really hadn't approached him about an extension. I think it kind of showed everyone it was the first sign that a rebuild could be coming, that the team wasn't going to be you know competitive sustainably for the next couple of years. Do you think the Orioles would ever let something like that happen again, the Manny Machado situation, where it eventually kind of ruined the team's competitiveness for a while? Well, they they did approach Manny. Uh, it, it was just about money, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't come up with the money that he was looking for, and then they decided that uh, it might be better because he definitely was going to leave as a free agent. Uh, if he turned down whatever it was they offered him, uh, obviously he was going to get more on the uh, open market, so it, it was wise to get what they got. I, I actually thought Dan Duquette did a great job in that trade. Uh, I did know, too, yeah. Dean, Dean Kramer is probably going to be in the rotation to start this year, and Diaz is uh, a phone call away from being brought up uh, once they clear a spot in the outfield. And, you know, there you go. There's uh, uh, having too many players for, for three outfield positions uh, where they have uh, right now. But, um, you, you know, it, it, I, I don't think they're against signing players long-term I mean, obviously, the Chris Davis contract is, is has become an albatross because his production has fallen off. 
but uh, you, you, you have to do what you have to do. And I, I honestly can't say that Manny was the reason that this happened because he's only one player, although he was their best player. But uh, I, I think it does show that uh, organizations need to have uh, some type of vision looking to the future about players that they need to control and they need to, to spend. And I, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of uh, organizations uh, you know, look look what the Braves did with Acuna. You know, you, you give him a hundred million dollars before he's anywhere close to uh, becoming a free agent, and then you lock him up for for the prime years of his career when he's young, and you can build around him with the fan base. Uh, I, I think that's the one thing the Orioles should have understood with Manny, because if you're going to start a team, uh, Manny's not a bad guy to start with, and uh, it, it was basically it was just money because they already had him; he was their player. Uh, number three pick in the draft that they drafted him, and then he became a star uh, when he learned how to play third base and was called up to play third base. Uh, so, you, you know, as, as you go forward, I, I, I can't say that that I think they're uh, against that moving forward, but but I think in this climate, uh, in the in the situation that they're in with rebuilding, uh, you're, you're going to go with what you have. And then as you move forward, if you have a player that emerges with the extreme talent like Manny Machado, then you have to ask yourself, okay, is it time to lock him up or do we move on from this? Because obviously franchise players are very few and far between. And if you have a guy that's already wearing your uniform and all it takes is money, that might not be a bad idea to go about that. But they did try to sign him. The, you know, the, the don't, don't feel that they didn't because they did. I know that for a fact. And it was just a matter of money. And whatever they were offering wasn't enough for Manny and his representation. Uh, so once the decision was made that he was going to uh, test free agency, I, I think they did the best they could because they weren't going to win that year anyway. And, uh, and they went out and got five prospects for him. Yeah, the, the, hopefully those prospects turn into something. I think we all agree that Dean Kramer could be a fit in this rotation. And Yosniel Diaz, if he can stay on the field and stay healthy, uh, could prove to be the centerpiece of that trade. I know we're running a little long on time, but we run long on time every week, Jim, so that's okay. Um, what's the next chapter for Jim Hunter? Well, I, I got some things in the works that I can't talk about yet because they're not finalized, but uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, you know... You move on in life, and uh, I hope to still be relevant in the business. And uh, I feel that uh, there are a couple of opportunities that that might come up that uh, keep me in that. Whether that's in baseball or other things, who knows? Uh, but uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, it was a good run. I wish uh, it had ended uh, being my choice as opposed to uh, someone else's choice. But you know, that's life. And uh, you know, again, I, I, I'm not going to be bitter because uh, that that would only hurt myself. So uh, so we'll move on and we'll see what happens. But <clears throat> hopefully within the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll have some kind of an announcement or somebody will make an announcement about uh, what the next chapter is going to bring. Well, we're certainly hopeful for that. Uh, is there anything that you want to say to the fans? Well, just thank you. You know, they, they've always been great to me. I mean, the, the outpouring of... Uh, of sentiments when I when I went public that uh, that I wasn't coming back was uh, was really just overwhelming. I mean, uh, uh, they've always been great to me. They they've uh, uh, you know I, I won them over eventually, uh, having replaced John Miller in 1997. Uh, although I'm sure there's a few fans out there that still <laughs> don't like the fact that that I had to replace John Miller. They thought he should have stayed here, but but again, he moved on and uh, and there was the opening and. 
uh, the Orioles asked me to do that, and uh, I was very happy to do it. So the uh, uh, I, I just want to say thank you to the fans. They're they're very loyal. I mean, the the one thing Paul I've learned since uh, coming to Baltimore in 1997 and moving here and uh, moving two houses away from where you grew up. Uh, I've learned about uh, the Baltimore fans is that they're very loyal and they like familiar. And uh, I appreciate their loyalty, and I'm sorry that uh, the familiar uh, tones of my voice bringing them games isn't there anymore. But, again, that wasn't my choice. That was someone else's choice, and uh, we just have to move on. But uh, I just want to thank them. They've been been wonderful to me. Uh, I've always tried very hard to uh, go out of my way to talk to them, to to, uh, sign an autograph if they wanted to pose for a picture, whatever. Uh, because I always felt that uh, they cared that much about the team if they wanted to talk to me about the team that, that I owed it to them to go ahead and do that and I always did and will continue to do it even though I'm no longer associated with the team but uh, just a, gr- a great thank you to Oriole fans. You, you couldn't find a, a, a truer fan base and a more loyal uh, group of people than, than uh, the, the real good fans you know that you saw at FanFest every year uh, that follow and love this team. So uh, just a, a, a great thank you to all of them. Well, Jim, um, back in January uh, when I did my first show after it was announced that you wouldn't be coming back, I offered my sentiments on the program. I tried to send it to you and and your wife, and apparently we had audio issues, and I'm sure that you tried to listen to it and couldn't hear it. Um, We had some computer issues. So rather than resend that to you, I figured I'd have you on the program and I'd offer you my sentiments now. Um, I want to say thank you to you. Uh, You came into my life when I was 12 years old. So we're talking 24 years ago. You came into my life, um, and all I knew was my friend's dad calls calls games for the Orioles, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And when I I knew that I wasn't going to play baseball for a profession, I knew that pretty early on – I wanted to do what you did. I, I saw you do it. You're the reason that I went to my first opening day, that I got my first view from a press box, from a broadcast booth. I saw what you did, and that's what I wanted to do. And then you helped me get into Masson in 2014, and I got to see firsthand live how you did your job. And I look to you as my mentor, and I look to you as somebody where when I'm doing what I do, I think, is that as good as Jim Hunter? I... I, I the preparation that you put in, the positivity that I, I don't think we can overstate how important it is for a broadcaster to have positivity about the team that he's covering and show that he cares about that team. And you could tell that in every broadcast that you did. So, Jim, you're the reason that I'm sitting in this chair right now, one of the reasons, and one of the reasons that I want to do this for a living. So thank you for offering that tutelage to me, for being my mentor, and for helping me get a leg up in this industry. Whether I took advantage of it at the time or not, you were there for me, and I greatly appreciate it. I, for one, am sincerely going to miss you on the broadcast. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Well, it's very kind of you, Paul, and just remember, always do your homework. Yeah, absolutely. Always do your homework. I appreciate it. Uh, Jim, we got to let you go. we got to get a break, but thank you so much for joining our program. All right, Paul. Good to talk to you. Have a good one. That was Jim Hunter joining the program here on the Bat Around from the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Um, great guest. Great guest. Had a lot to say. You know, it, he, it, he didn't hold anything back regarding how he felt about what happened with his career with the Orioles. Um, 
However, he did it professionally. He let him, let everybody know that he wasn't happy about it, but he was a professional about it. And then he still gave glowing reviews of the team, talked about the team, and you know gave good insight into where this team is headed. So it was nice to have him on the program and to get to tell him in person what he's meant to me in my career. Yeah, yeah, he he's always he was great for so long. I mean, I I grew up you know the same way as you did, listening to Jim Hunter, and you know he's he was always. That consistent voice, him and Gary Thorne were on, you know, basically every other night. So, um, you know, it, it, always great to have him on the program. And, uh, you know, he's got a wealth of knowledge about the Orioles. He knows so much and was so, you know, so great about, you know, for the Orioles for so many years. So definitely have, good to have him on. Absolutely. Now, we, we've run a little bit long, as we tend to do here on the Batter Round. Um, we're going to get our final break. And then when we come back, we're going to close things out here on the Batter Round. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Since masks are a part of our lives now and probably will be for a while, we might as well wear masks that celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. PressBox is offering three different types of masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks. They're not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your favorite teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com masks to get yours now. Hey, Dad, can we try one of those hoagie things? <sighs> Sorry, son. We aren't hoagie people. What do you mean? Son... We're Royal Farms sub people, like my daddy was, and his daddy before him, like you and me, and all the folks we know. Gee, Dad, I never thought about it like that. So you're saying hoagie people are... Aliens, son. They're aliens. Royal Farms subs are Baltimore's best. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a lengthy Q&A with Orioles manager Brandon Hyde as he candidly discussed the impact the pandemic has had on the team's rebuilding effort, Chris Davis, Adley Rutschman, and much more. Inside, find our special college lacrosse feature, introducing you to the men's and women's players at all of the area schools. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Mm. 
there's that awesome Glenn Clark intro, Glenn Clark radio intro music. We're here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio running long as always, but let me just remind you that while vaccines are here and there's reasons to be encouraged, COVID-19 is still a very real threat. Masks aren't going away anytime soon, so let's wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love. Pressbox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter, plus a Celebrate 8 purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback, and an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks, not CDC approved, but they're perfect for hanging out and watching games this fall while supporting your teams and being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks to get yours now. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't mention this on the air, but I waited on Cal Ripken the other night. Really? Yeah, he, he came into Baco um, on Tuesday night, and um, I'm pretty sure, we, if we didn't mention it on the show last week, it, it may have happened just before, just after the show uh, last weekend, uh, Cal and Billy lost, their, Cal, Billy, and then their other siblings, they, they, they lost their mother, uh, Vi, uh, over the weekend, um, and I actually had the privilege of waiting on Cal, Billy, and Vi uh, on Mother's Day at Bonefish several years ago. Um, really great, wonderful woman, uh, and the matriarch of that Ripken family. Um, and kind of the 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 glue, you know what I mean from from all accounts. Um, and I'm pretty sure that they were that, that Cal and his daughter and uh, Cal's wife and another gentleman who could have been his wife's son or his daughter's boyfriend. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure that they came into the restaurant after Vi's viewing. Um, super nice. Cal was genuine. He was super nice to me. His wife. Uh, was an absolute sweetheart. She was she was sweet as pie, nice as can be. Um, so yeah, it, it was cool. I didn't mention the show. I didn't mention baseball to him. I, I didn't say, "Oh my God, you're Cal Ripken." You know, he knew that I knew who he was, um, but I didn't bring up any of that stuff. A, a server went over and you know shook his hand and said, "Hey, you're Cal Ripken," and maybe offered his condolences. I didn't want to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it was cool, man. I, like I got to wait on Cal Ripken on Tuesday. I, I, not many people for the second time, which, the, is, which is crazy for the for the second time. Um, and, and I'd seen him in other restaurants in the past and all that. But it was it was cool. He and I had a much better interaction this time because you know he wasn't there goofing around with his brother or anything like that. But it was super cool. Got to wait on Cal Ripken. A lot, not a lot of people get to say that. So uh, any takeaways from this show, Zach? Before we let things go. Not really, honestly. I think it was a great show. Not um, really, it not, sucked. Not, not <laughs> really. We're we're show right now. It, it, it was a great show again. Um, great guests as usual, and you know, it's just we're we're getting to that point where it's almost opening day now. Only got a few more weeks, and um, you know, hopefully we'll get to watch some more Masson games on TV. That would be nice. You know, I'm, I'm I think we're all kind of baseball starved right now, so it'd be nice to see some more O's games. Um, you know, for anyone out, out, really anyone out there who wants to watch the O's from the other broadcast, um, you know, like the Braves, the Yankees, or whoever's broadcasting at that day, the twenty five bucks for MLB TV for the month is worth it for sure. Um, you know, to watch the O's, it's a great opportunity to watch prospects. So, you know, that's 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 my uh, closing thoughts, I guess. Yeah, I paid the three dollars for the month to listen the audio, to yeah. the broadcast, and, and the only reason is because a lot of times I'm at the gym. Uh, oh, yeah. when, uh-huh. when they play or I'm at work. So I'm not going to spend 25 bucks to not watch them. You know what I mean? Now, when they're on Masson, I'll, I'll, I'll set time aside or I'll record the game and watch it when I get home from work or something like that. But, um, no, if, 
if you have the ability to watch the games, twenty five bucks is not a lot of money to. And, and they to, do archive them, so you can watch yeah, them afterwards. Yeah, so twenty five bucks for a month to watch yeah. uh, as many Orioles games as you want um, is as many Orioles games as they broadcast right. uh, for other teams uh, is certainly worth the money. Uh, guys, we got to get out of here again. We're running long as always. Really great show. Thanks for tuning in as always. Hey, uh, Orioles regular season baseball is less than four weeks away. Yep. Less than four weeks away. We're talking three and a half weeks. We have baseball-like weather coming up this coming week. Temperatures up towards the 70s, Tuesday through Friday. Uh, so get out there. Play some catch with your friends. Play some catch, not have a catch. Uh, guys, also, though, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. So be safe. Be healthy. Wear your masks. See ya! <laughs>